Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis, and this is your game preview pod for the game on Saturday at noon in Ann Arbor on Fox. Ohio State versus Michigan is officially a number two versus number three game, Nathan. 11-0, 11-0, again for the second year in a row. I, I, this is the biggest game Ohio State's going to play all year, so I do think we need to get more in-depth. and we, we get in-depth on these game preview pods, but I want to get a little more in-depth than we usually get on these game preview pods. And so I'll start with you and ask this question. If you had to pick a matchup that is going to decide the game on Saturday, what matchup would you point to first? It's a great question. Um, I, I feel like there is there are several here, and I, I like which one is the single most pivotal. I think it's probably going to come down to Ohio State's offensive line and whether it holds up against Michigan's defensive line. I mean, that was the problem in twenty twenty one. Um, again, setting aside the things that are alleged, but not yet necessarily proven on a play-by-play basis to have affected those games, I suppose, um, to, to talk about it just from a football standpoint. I mean, it obviously cost them in 2021, both in terms of, you know, Michigan being able to, um, stand up and, and limit the, the short yardage situations that were pivotal in that second half and their ability to get after the quarterback. And that was with a NFL-ready um, offensive line, an offensive line that was sending multiple guys off to the NFL. And then last year, not as extreme, but Ohio State still not able to get a running game going, was missing Trevor Henderson, but not able to get its offense in sync and stay ahead of the chains in that second half and only scoring three points. And I know that the the, the fact that this defense is what it is has changed the complexion. and 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 not put Ohio State in a situation where it has to score 40-some points to win this game, most likely. But Michigan's got a great defense, too. And and does this Ohio State offensive line, you know, I can't imagine that it's a day where you keep Common Cord completely clean. I can't imagine that it's a day where you succeed in every short yardage crucial situation. Michigan's going to win some of those battles. Do you win enough of them to 
end up winning the game. Uh, to me, that still looms out there as probably the biggest question mark. If you're an Ohio State fan and you want to put your faith in them winning this game, that's still the unit that has the most to prove. Andrew, when you talk about that defensive line, you're talking especially about that interior. Nathan mentioned 21, where you're talking Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo on the outside. Maybe last year, a mixture. I don't think Mozzie Smith was probably the elite guy on that Michigan defensive line last year. But this year, I don't think there's necessarily a first-round draft pick. But Rashawn Benny, Mason Graham, Kenneth Grant, Cam Good, and Chris Jenkins on that interior defensive line there. Is this more of a problem Ohio State has to solve in terms of winning in the trenches and protecting Kyle McCord and pass protection or getting a push in the run game the way we've seen them be able to do the last couple of weeks? It absolutely getting a push um, that, you know, Nathan kind of stole that not stole, but he had the same answer that I was going to say, um, you know, it's it's Ohio State's offensive line versus Michigan's defensive line. That's that's what has to match. That has to what has to matter for Ohio State. And then it's getting a push in the run game because the more and more I think about this game, the more I see some similarities between um, Notre Dame and Michigan. Um, you know, you look at kind of the way that both of these teams are set up. Um, you know, Notre Dame is one of the better pass defenses in the country. Michigan, in terms of EPA per play, is fifth against the pass. Like they're a really good secondary. And when it comes down to their defensive line, you know, they're still really good. They're seventh in, in run defense. And that's better than Notre Dame. And you go to that Notre Dame game and what happened, right? Trevion Henderson, we had he had that run that we will discuss forever and say that is the exact moment that you need Trevion Henderson because outside of his 61-yard touchdown run, Trevion Henderson had 13 carries for 43 yards. That's not good enough, right? Like 3.3 yards a carry ain't cutting it. That's not what you can do against a team like this, especially when, I mean, Ohio State ran the ball for, they ran the ball 27 times for 126 yards total. Um, if you look at their other running backs, Chip Trainum, six for 13, Emeka, two for nine, Mayan Williams, one for nothing. You know, they didn't run the ball effectively. So, I mean, you take out Kyle McCord, even with his four rushes, rushes, you know, that's 23 carries, 126 yards. You got to get a better push than that. I'm not even saying, I'm not saying that, you know, you have to run the ball for 200. I know Ryan Day said that earlier this year. Every game we want to throw for 250 and run for 200. I'm not saying you have to run for 200 yards, but you've got to be efficient against this Michigan defense because we've seen this kind of game, right? We've seen Ohio State play a team that has a fairly solid offensive line that is going to try to run the ball, not just because in the Indiana perspective, they're going to run the ball to get out of there, or whatever, like Michigan's going to run the ball because they think they can run the ball and win the game. And that is kind of what I'm looking at here. And I see a game that Ohio State has to get a push up front offensively because you're looking at a game where you might not have a ton of moments where, you know, you, you have the ball. You know, that was a time of possession game that, you know, for the most part, I think was won by Notre Dame. Um, you know, so you look at everything that's going into that Ohio state getting a push up front. It just opens up so many more things and it allows you to do so many more things because they were fairly one dimensional against Notre Dame. And I don't think you can be fairly one dimensional against Michigan or else you're going to lose. You know, I think going back to 2000. Go ahead. I do think, I think you're right that if, if Trevion Henderson is averaging 3.3 yards per carry for like the bulk of his day, 
even though he has explosive ability, that's probably bad. There is going to be, though, some some bulk of this game, some chunk of this game, where Michigan is limiting, Trevian Henderson is limiting the running game because they're really good up front. And I do think that this is a very crucial difference, too. As much as it's, I mean, it's it's been working together really well here this past month. The, the, the difference between um, the way this offensive line has started to play and getting Trevin Henderson back in in unison ha- has made a significant difference. And as much as we've talked about how great Trevin Henderson has been, and it's been clear that he has been, I really do think it is his vision in combination, his improved vision in combination with the improved play of the offensive line. So this is an element that Ohio State hasn't had in either of the last two games. Like Trevin Henderson was on the field in 2021. But it wasn't this version of 2020 of Trevin Henderson. It wasn't even a healthy version of freshman year Trevin Henderson at that point. And then obviously last year he wasn't even able to play in the game, and, and the absence was conspicuous. Um, even though the year the version we saw of him all year wasn't like this one. You're getting the best running that Trevin Henderson has ever done in his career with the best blocking that this group of offensive linemen has done together. And it's a there are many ways where. Michigan, where Ohio State is peaking at the right time, there aren't very many areas where you'd say they're not. And this is one of the most prominent ones where they obviously are. This is the healthiest Travion Henderson has been in probably his career here. And when you talk about the stretch of it, because as you mentioned, he played against Michigan in 2021, 17 carries for 74 yards. It's 4.4 yards per carry. He also had five catches for 54 yards. So they used him in every way possible. But if I'm remembering this correct, he was dealing with a knee thing at that point. I remember him telling us he had a, he was he had played through a concussion or at least concussion-like symptoms at that point, which he did clear up with me after. He wa- did not actually have a concussion, but he did have those symptoms, and he was coming back from one as well. So he had a knee injury plus that in 2021. Didn't play in 2022 because of a foot thing. He had the rib thing earlier this year, the upper body thing, but he's been since he's been back, he's had really his last five games going back to the Notre Dame game, 14 carries for 104 yards and 7.4 yards per carry. But as Andrew already mentioned, most of that came on a 61-yard run. Comes back for the Wisconsin game, 24 carries, 162 yards, 6.8 yards per carry. Against Rutgers, 22 carries for 128 yards. That's 5.8 yards per carry. Against a a decent run defense, I, I give Rutgers a little bit of respect this year, even though their pass defense was more their bread and butter this year. Only had the ball 13 times against Michigan State, 4.8 yards per carry, 63 yards, but he only played a half, and it really didn't matter because you won that game anyway. And then last week, 15 carries, 146 yards. It's 9.7 yards per carry with a couple of explosive runs in there. Looking back, this has been brought up a couple of times. I think it's been brought up the last two years. Going back, Andrew, to 2000, the winner of this game has has won the run battle. Michigan won it in 2000, 2003, 2011, and then the last two years, and they won the game. And then all the other years, Ohio State won that matchup, and they also won the game. Michigan comes into this game allowing 2.96 yards per carry per attempt. That's ninth nationally, and it's third in the Big Ten. The Big Ten's got some really good defenses. And depending on how the season plays out, Ohio State might play all of them. The other ones in that conversation, of course, were Penn State and Iowa, and then itself. So it plays itself every week, and then it plays other opponents on Saturday. While Ohio State comes into this game allowing 3.32 yards per attempt, twenty that's 21st nationally and fourth in the Big Ten, while offensively, Michigan 4.48 yards per carry, that's third in the Big Ten, 54th nationally, while Ohio State 4.33 yards per carry, that's sixth in the Big Ten, 69th nationally. Andrew, 
is it it's been the case basically for the past 21 years is that going to be the case this year whoever has a better day on the ground is going to end up ultimately win this game I think it's possible but I'm not sure because you dig into some of the numbers for this game and I know what you and I know everything that you just said but you dig into some of the numbers for this game when rushing the ball neither of these teams are super effective like I think that there might be kind of this narrative out there that Michigan is better than they are running the ball um you know you look at Ohio State running the ball EPA per play they are exactly at in uh, my best animal house voice 0.0 and that is 85 in the country for 85 85th in the country in terms of EPA per play Michigan 0.03 that's 68th in the country uh, Make sure, hey, it in, explain in, what EPA per play is for people who don't Sorry. Yeah. So it's expected points added per play. So basically what this does is it takes into account all types of situations. It takes into account all types of runs because a three yard run is not created equal. A three yard run on first and 10 is not the same as a three yard run on third and one. And so basically what this math tries to do is that it it tries to boil it down to a single number, you know, and as you just heard, you know, 0.03, which obviously you're more effective passing the ball than you are running the ball, as Steven smiles probably. Um, you know, you you talk about the run game when it comes to that and the numbers are down, but it just tries to boil it down into a single number, expected points out of play where it's just, hey, this is what you can expect in terms of how many points you can gain by running the ball in a particular play. Um, so that's what that's what that means. Um, but like I said, kind of boiling it down to a more traditional number, Michigan's 54th in the country or tied for 54th in the country with 4.48 yards per carry. Um, you know, this isn't exactly a... You know, this isn't exactly a matchup of a team that is just kind of running the ball at, you know, as they wish. Like Ohio State's tied for 69th in the country at 4.33 yards per carry. These are teams that don't have war. Like Ohio, look, does Michigan have really good running backs and a, and a good offensive line? Yep. Does Has Ohio State been running the ball more effectively than they have been all season long in the last handful of weeks with Trevin Henderson? Yep. But I also don't think it's I also don't think you could say that the winner of this game is the winner or the winner of the winner of running the ball is the winner of this game. Just I I don't know if that's going to be the case because we've seen both of these teams kind of have their struggles with that. And I think there are just too many other factors here where you could convince me that J.J. McCarthy cuts it loose and has a really good game and Michigan wins. Or Ohio State has too many playmakers on the outside and Ohio State wins. Like there, there are a lot of other scenarios here that I think can matter here more than just the run game. Nathan, what do you think of that theory that whoever wins the run game is going to win the game on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably some truth to that. Uh, I think it's mostly especially true for Ohio State in one really big area. Because when you asked me that question at the start of the game or the pod, the pod about the game. I I hesitated because I, I think it's more than a positional thing. I think it's a situational thing that might decide this game. And it's red zone, Ohio State in the red zone against Michigan in the red zone. Because Michigan in the red zone this year, and, and, and it's, it's worth mentioning in this 
context when we're talking about the running game because what has Ryan Day been saying for five years? Like, we have to be able to run the ball in the red zone. So let's talk about running the ball. Let's talk about what's going on in the red zone. Michigan this year has only allowed 18 red zone attempts. Ryan Day brought that up in in the presser the other day. Like, well, you know, there aren't that many attempts. Actually, it's only four fewer than Ohio State has allowed in the same number of games. But it is the lowest number in the country. 18 is the fewest red zone attempts in the country. But they've also only allowed six touchdowns, which is also the fewest in the country. And if you can, as you might expect, the 33.3% ratio there is also the best in the country. Like 18 times a team has gotten to the red zone against Michigan. Only six times have they gotten in the end zone. And one of the reasons for that is because I think it was until the Penn State game, so week 10 for them, that no team had had snapped the ball inside the 10-yard line against Michigan. So everything Ohio State has done this year, as far as like not allowing teams to drive on them and be methodical and just like, it's as true or more true for Michigan. Like they just aren't even giving teams those opportunities until late in the season. And now everyone knows that I've been bringing up for weeks that Ohio State is insufficiently um, productive in the red zone this season. It's not, a, it's not a secret. It's not like something I discovered. They talk about it too. And through the Penn State game, because I wrote an article about it at that point. So through eight games, Ohio State had 16 touchdowns and 28 red zone attempts. That's 57.1%. And I don't remember where that ranked nationally, but I think it might have been in the 80s. Like it was not good. It was bad. The past four games, now again, those games are Wisconsin, Rutgers, Michigan State and Minnesota. So some decent defenses there in Wisconsin and Rutgers and some not great ones in Michigan State and Minnesota. 13 of 19, 68.4%. If you extrapolate 68.4% over season, you'd be like in the top 25. I still think that's insufficient for Ohio State, but at least it's showing a pulse in the red zone. And I think this has to be a game. You don't get probably multiple red zone attempts in this game where you only come away with a field goal and still win this game. Like when you get in the red zone, you have to keep plowing ahead and get in there somehow, especially if you've got the ball inside the 10 yard line. If, if any, any first and goal has to be a touchdown. Every time you don't get a touchdown there, you are essentially handing four points to the other team. You're outscoring yourself by not getting in the red zone there in some ways, philosophically. So I think that is the most crucial aspect of this game. Ohio State being able to get the ball down the field, I'm pretty confident in. I thought this past game was another example of that against Minnesota. They had they were able to move the ball. It's just that when they moved it down into the red zone, it started to stall out again or near the red zone. And that's where Kyle McCord had some issues, not to get into a different area where I know we're talking about the run here. But it is where the running execution anytime you you don't give Trevin Henderson that hole and I think that's more of an issue right now than whether or not he would hit it or not, because he's been pretty more, much more consistent with that since he came back. I think it the first time you take a first and 10 and make it second and nine or second and 10 because you didn't have the run set up right and you didn't block it right, uh, then you have now put yourself in a really tough spot against one of the best defenses in the country. And you're, and you're, you're setting yourself up to maybe leave those points on the field. And I think this game is going to be tight enough. I can't imagine, like, is anybody out there picking either of these teams to, like, blow the other one out? Like, this game's going to be so, so tight and decided in the margins. And this is where you can maximize your efficiency in those margins and, and, and win the game. I would be doubtful that anybody's 
score margin is any more than 14 and even that 14 would probably have some context of something that happens late in the game versus that'd be the story of the full length of the game there but i think this has been an evolving thing here nathan kind of there was maybe a point in the middle of the year where they weren't scoring in the red zone and they kept trying and they kept trying that and it wasn't working and then when they would end up with nothing so instead of at least leaving only four points out there sometimes it was felt like they were leaving seven out there and so maybe you started to wonder do you just take the points just to you know get points on the board here i don't think this is a game where you can just take the points i think you i agree with you you have to maximize all of those red because you might only get two quite i mean if a team only has 18 on a year now that's with the context of some of the teams they were playing this year so maybe that number if had they played ohio state schedule or just any non-conference team with a pulse then maybe it wouldn't be 18 maybe they'd be in the, the lower 20s like ohio state is but still the proof says that Michigan isn't going to give you a lot of opportunities to be inside their 20. So you have to maximize every opportunity that you get in those situations. Let me ask you this, then. It's early third quarter, tied 10 to 10. Mm. Fourth and two at the Michigan 26. What does Ohio State do? I, I kicked the field goal. That's a... Yeah, but that's a. I kicked the field goal, but in Ohio State's recent past, I think Ryan Day probably goes for that because I think he goes for that. Your your chances of getting two yards in the offenses that they've had in the past couple of years, they're leading the nation in yards per play. You're you're so the the, the risk is so worth the the reward is so worth the risk, and this year I think because of the opponent you're playing and your own less dynamic version of offense that isn't just as propulsive as it's been the last couple of years. I think you have to take those three points. And I, we've talked about that over the course of the year and Ryan day has sort of insinuated it, that there's a, there is a different math that they have to look at this year. It's all situational. Maybe there will be wind and stuff that goes into that decision at that point. But I do think they trust Jaden fielding at that point, at that, at that range. And at that stage of the game, I think you want, the points. I think you want to be playing from ahead in this game as much as possible because you trust your defense so much. And I think they probably have to kick a field goal there. But I don't think that's the same decision he would have made in the past four editions of this that he's been the head coach. Only three, but could have been four. So as of right now, it's supposed to be 37 degrees. I can't find a wind chill yet for Saturday's game, but I do think what the wind is like will matter in that situation. I also think what's your defense doing in those situations? Because if you remember the Penn State game, and I know that's a home game, but still, they didn't get it. They went for it on fourth down with a they tried to throw like a screen pass to, to Carnell Tate and didn't get in, but then their defense got the stop. Now the special teams unit decided that that stop didn't matter because another special team snafu. But I do think to an extent, if this defense is shutting down Michigan. I think that puts Ohio, puts Ryan Day in a situation where he has a little bit more confidence that I can go for this and not get it and not worry about Michigan driving down the field on my defense. While in years past, to your point, Nathan, the offense, you you, you knew more like more than not they were going to get it. But also, if you don't get it here, your defense isn't going to get a stop. So it's almost a double-edged sword here. Your offense isn't as good as it's been in the past, but your defense is so much better that you know that you can put your defense in a situation where 
you're on the four-yard line or the th- well, uh, if you're on the four-yard line, you might kick the field goal. If you're on like the two-yard line and you're like, okay, let's go for this because if we don't get it, Michigan has to drive 98 yards to score. I'll take our defense's chances of eventually getting off the field and Michigan not putting points up. And it might just be 10-10 by the time you get the ball back anyway. So I, that's a that's a hard one. I well, so with that though, I do think that yeah, like I, I understand taking the points, but the upside for me is too great to not just take the simple points of th- like a like a like seven in this game. I think we can all agree is massive, right? Like turning, you know, you hear defenses talk about turning seven into three and those kind of, you know, they kind of harped on those four point plays. You get one or two of those. I think that's how you win this game. Like you get one or two of those just massive. Oh my goodness. They are. And like you said, it was 10, 10 early third quarter. You go up 17, 10 in a game like this. That feels like a two score game. That the way yeah, this game might you, play out. Because Ohio State's defense has not allowed, and I understand, you know, you mentioned with Michigan, like some of the opponent, there's some opponent stuff there. And I get that there's some opponent stuff here too. And Ohio State has kind of maybe flirted with allowing more. But Ohio State still, for whatever this is worth, has not allowed more than 17 points in a game this year. And to me, I'd be looking at this going, you know, if we hit 20, I have to feel really good about the way that game would go for Ohio State. Like if Ohio State can get to 23, 27, like like at what like at what point do you look at the number of points that Ohio State can score and say that feels like a like a safe bet. I'm not saying it's a guaranteed bet, but it's a safe bet for Ohio State. So, I'm looking at this kind of in the opposite way, I guess, where I'm looking at this and saying this is a game where you have to kind of put all your cards on the table. And you have to go try and win because you go up 17-10 in that scenario, right? Like if that's the scenario, 10-10 early third quarter, you're up 17-10 in the third quarter. You are basically saying, I don't think Michigan can get to 20. Or I guess technically it would be 18, but uh, the most conventional way would be 20. Like I don't think Michigan can get to 20 before regulation ends, right? And I don't think that that's a crazy bet. Um, So I'd look at this and say, this is a game where you go for points because can you win this game with field goals? Maybe, but you're going to have to score eventually. And, and I think that I would kind of lean more aggressive with how good this defense has been. Um, and then the last thing, uh, Saturday, as we record this on, um, as we record this on Wednesday, Saturday's forecast, 38 degrees, winds light and variable, five miles an hour, west, southwest. So pretty good. I don't have a sense of direction, so. That's, I don't know well, what way that is. We know. South Southwest was me just putting on my best weatherman voice. But it, <laughs> oh, okay. outside of that, like five miles an hour, you'll take that. You'll take mostly cloudy, high of 38 and five miles an hour. Notice I did not say snow. Notice I did not say wind. Notice I did not say rain. Notice I did not say anything like that. So if you're Ohio State, you'll you'll take five mile an hour winds and 38 degrees. Andrew, I want to ask you the same question, but I, I think Nathan put it in a better way. It's like we're going to use this position battle to talk about the bigger thing here yeah. so he shows offense Ohio State's offensive line Michigan's defensive line which was a way for us to talk about the run game the way for us to talk about the red zone and a way for us to we haven't mentioned Carson Hensman's name but it's the interior offensive line Donovan Jackson Carson Hensman Matthew Jones how do they hold up against Michigan's interior offensive line this five-man rotation that they used 
What's the second most important position battle topic thing that is going to decide this game on Saturday? Yeah, you know, this is something that I have been kind of kicking around for a while because I don't know what the best answer for this is. The thing that I have slowly settled on is Michigan secondary versus Ohio State's receivers. Because I think that this is this is how Ohio State can break this game open in a way that they can, right? Like this is like the, if Ohio State were to break this game open and and kind of turn this in their favor and turn this in the way that they want, what would have to happen? I don't think it's crazy, and I don't think any of us would say it's crazy. The listeners, the texters, uh, you two, anybody on the beat that Ohio State's offensive line kind of not reverts to maybe what it was, but just can't get rolling. I don't think it's crazy to say that Ohio State's going to have more trouble running the ball than they have in the last couple of weeks. But I know for a fact that Ohio State has a better receiver than Michigan has a corner. And like Marvin Harrison Jr. is is pretty solid. Just That's another solid bet that I'm making. Hot take. Hot take. I know. And I so... If Emeka really is feeling better, I'm not going to put a percentage on it, but if Emeka really truthfully is feeling good, feeling healthy, feeling better, feeling better than he has in weeks, that is an advantage that Ohio State has to dip into more than not because that's what Ohio State's strength is. And I just think that if you can – both of those two things kind of go hand in hand. But I think that if you can get those things off and running, like one of them off the ground, it's going to help the other thing. If Marvin Harrison Jr. is torching Michigan secondary, or we have an Emeka game, you know, kind of like if we have a similar game to the Notre Dame game where Emeka hits 100 yards or something like that, and Michigan's kind of scrambling in the secondary to try and defend some of these guys, I would think at this point with this offensive line, that would open up the run game a little bit. Or vice versa, if Ohio State's running the ball at five yards a clip, I would say that that would open up some things in the secondary as Michigan might have to commit more guys to the front. So for me, it's what Ohio State's players on the outside can do because even if it all goes haywire, like even if you can't really run the ball and McCord's having a rough day, those are still guys that can swing the game on one snap, right? Like those are still guys that you trust you trust Marvin Harrison Jr. can change the game on one play. You trust that Emeka Ibuka can change the game on one play. Those are guys that you trust to make those type of plays. So I think that when it comes to games like this, it's big plays. And those are the guys that I would look for for big plays. So I think Ohio State's receiving core is is really important for uh, for this one, obviously. I don't think you're wrong at all. And there's no but to that. I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> At all, I promise. It's just because I thought I, I genuinely thought the same thing coming into this. And then I started looking at the box scores of their last three regular season losses and what the receivers did in those games against Oregon. Chris Olave had 12 catches for 126 yards. Garrett Wilson had eight catches for 117 yards. Jackson Smith in a touchdown. Jackson Smith the Jigba had seven catches, 145 yards and two touchdowns and like a breakout performance for him. And then later that year when they lost to Michigan, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, 11 catches, 127 yards. Garrett Wilson, 10 catches for 119 yards. And one of the freakier touchdown catches I've seen from Garrett Wilson, which is saying a lot because I saw all of his touchdown catches. And then Chris Olave, seven catches for 88 yards. And then last year, 
in this game. Ameka Buka, nine catches, 125 yards, including the touchdown that started the game off there. And then Marvin Harrison Jr., seven catches for 120 yards and one touchdown. They put up the numbers. It just, a lot of those numbers, Nathan, felt more like desperation than it did you feeling the Ohio and them setting the standard a little bit because they were playing from behind in those situations. It didn't feel like it felt against Georgia where like Ohio State's passing game was the aggressor. It was the bully and not the thing that they're doing out of desperation. And I think that's where Andrew is right. And that if I, if you frame it that way of Ohio state's wide receivers, Ohio state's passing game and whatever it looks like this year, it has to show up, but it can't show up because Ohio state's down by two scores. And all of a sudden, of course you have all these stats you're down. And so you're throwing the ball the whole second half. It has to be because Ohio state is the one setting the tone throughout the game and Michigan doesn't necessarily have an answer for it, even if they do have a five-star cornerback on their roster. Yeah. Cause I mean, if you were to say going into this game, Oh, I think like Marvin Harrison jr. And Emeka Buka need to combine for like 16 catches for 245 yards and they both score a touchdown, right? Well, that's what they did last year. They still lost by 20 points. So like that, that ain't where it's at. Like um, it's, and it goes back to what I was saying before um, it, it's red zone, man. Like if you're if you're if you're really efficient between the twenties and then it stalls out and you're not getting points on the board, you're not getting touchdowns against this defense when you have that opportunity, you're not gonna win this game. Like you've got to get in the end zone. And some of that will be like dialing up explosives and being able to pull one or two here or there and maybe get in the end zone that way. You've obviously got guys who can break it, but I also think that it this is where it comes on yes, the receivers beating Michigan's DBs, but it's also common cord. Like it, it, again, the, this, the, 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 the margins are thin in this game and the, it, the game's going to be one on the margins. Like there aren't too many times that you can afford to, to miss your dude in the red zone and not have it really come back to haunt you. It doesn't come back to haunt you against Michigan state and Minnesota and Purdue and, and those teams. And I'm not, it's, I can't cherry pick just those. Cause obviously when his back was against the wall, and he had the season was on the line in week four, Comacord stepped up and made the throws. So you have to give him credit for that too. And I think that gives him confidence in this game. It gives Ohio State some confidence in this game. But I think you're right that this this receiving game, this is where it's maybe on there's this receiving group the most. You know, if we're going to talk about the margins, like we have to talk about the margins for them too. Like, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. is astonishingly good. We've also seen him, drop some balls. Like this is the game where he can least afford to drop a ball. This is a game where Emeka Buka, hopefully for Ohio State's sake, he is at his healthiest since the injury and he can uh, maximize some of his receptions, you know, get, get those extra yards per carry that have been so crucial for him in the past. Uh, you know, Julian Fleming, this is sort of in tandem with Kyle Accord, I think, like making sure you're looking for the opportunities where you can get him. But like maybe it's only like maybe it's like there's one play in this game for Julian Fleming that can help flip this. And you've got to hit on it. He's got to hit on it. He's got to be ready for it. He's got to beat his guy and they've got to maximize it. Like it's it's just such a thin margin for error. But I do think there's an opportunity here because Michigan is pretty solid in the back end. I mean, Will Johnson is a good defensive back, good cornerback. Josh Wallace is is solid. You know, we know Mike Sanders still. You need to know about him more for just the fact that he um, planted the flag last year at 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 Ohio Stadium. I mean, they're 
they're pretty deep, I think, of solid guys in the secondary. Frankly, just a lot like Ohio State, except, you know, they have all their guys, I think, for this one. Um, Ohio State will be missing Lathan Ransom, and that's that's a huge loss. So what does – it's just a matter of maximizing the opportunities when they're there. And it's not that Ohio State has had epidemic drop problems. It's not that Ohio State has had epidemic problems with not, you know, getting the most out of carries. And and Marvin Harrison Jr. made that a big focus for this year, um, getting yards after the catch. And I think he's he's done a better job of that this year. This is the game where all those things just matter the most. So w- to go with what Nathan has said a couple of times before earlier this week, um, this is uh, the, obviously we just talked about Ohio State's receivers a lot. Um, I think, you know, Nathan kind of brought this up and it was a really good point. It's kind of the NFL equivalent of like they got dudes who get paid too. like Michigan's got dudes on scholarship too. Um, they're, you know, I mentioned EPA earlier and everything that goes into that. They're, they're past their past defense EPA. They're fifth in the country per play, uh, in terms of yards per attempt allowed. They're seventh in the country, uh, per, per game, like inter- at 5.7 yards per attempt. Like their, their past defense statistically is one of the best past defenses in the country. So it, it's not just like, Hey, what can Marvin Harrison and Mecca Buka and all these other guys do to get open? And like, what can Ohio state do to scheme these guys open? Like Michigan secondary is good. And, and have they played a pass offense like Ohio state's? No, but I also think that through 11 games, there has to be some level of kind of respect and credence given to that because the numbers are what they are, right? Like the numbers are at this point kind of what they say they are. And yeah, does that, you know, they're about to face their biggest challenge of the year, but they are statistically one of the better pass defenses in the country. So it's more than just, you know, I'm glad Nathan brought that up on an earlier pod. Like it's more than just what does Ohio State do? It's also like, hey, Michigan's got some dudes who are really good too. And Michigan's pass defense as a whole is also really talented. Now, having said that, though, I'm glad you brought that up because I was also thinking, you know, looking at Michigan statistically, like what's the best pass offense that they've played this year? And it was last week. It's Maryland. That's yeah. the best yep. opposing pass defense that they've played. and I, Or offense, I should say. And I want to make sure that gets put in context. So if you look at Big Ten teams, mm-hmm. In, and I mention these two stats all the time. They are a shorthand. They are not corrected for, you know, as some of the metrics that Andrew's throwing out there, they're not corrected for situation and opponent. But just yards per attempt, the thing that Ohio State has been awesome at and still is. Michigan, 9.5 yards per attempt passing. Ohio State, 9.0. So that's like anything above nine is tremendous. Yep. Maryland is 7.3. So significantly a big chunk down to another a lower level. I mean, we, we've seen Maryland play. Like we know, we know this is true. They're they're fine, but not great. And then in, in uh, pass efficiency rating, Michigan one seventy four seventy three, Ohio State one sixty one thirty eight. Again, for both those teams, the bulk of that is is McCarthy and and McCord. And then Maryland one thirty eight nineteen. They're just they're just the best of another Big Ten off. Like just everybody else is kind of a glut. There's like five teams that are in the one thirties significantly below the efficiency that Michigan and Ohio state play at in the past game where, where things like yards per attempt touchdowns uh, avoiding interceptions. Those are all big and Michigan and Ohio state have combined for fewer interceptions than Maryland has. So again, that tells you this is just a different challenge that Michigan has not seen anything like you could argue that Ohio state hasn't either. We Mm -hmm. can talk about that when we get to Ohio state's defense, 
But this is certainly a challenge that is a unlike anything Michigan has faced this year. I think both of these teams, I don't want to say they're fake good in the past defense because that's just not true at all. It's just it hasn't really been temperature checked all year because you, you just took the words out of my mouth. That was going to be my point. Maryland's 26 nationally in, a, in, in passing offense. But they haven't played anybody who can actually hurt you in the passing game yet. So I look at Talia Tungavailoa's numbers from last week when Maryland did threaten Michigan in the annual, whichever team is playing Mike Loxley in College Park the week before the Ohio State-Michigan game gets caught sleeping a little bit. Talia Tungavailoa, 20 for 30, 207 yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions. And then his his backup, Billy Edwards, threw like nine passes that game, five of nine for 62 yards and a touchdown. If you take away... The interceptions, and I know that's that he had them, but I'm gonna take them away in this game. Is 20 for 30 for 207 yards and a touchdown from Kyle McCord enough for what this offense is and what might be required in this game? Is that enough for Kyle McCord in Ohio State's passing attack to win this game on Saturday? Oh, I, 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 it, I don't think it's, it's. Volume stats. I don't. This is the game. Not the volume right. stats doesn't I, I, matter. I it, it like what were the twenty of thirty? Like it, you know, did again? Were they running the ball within the twenties and then inside the twenties? Uh, he turned twenty mm-hmm. of thirty into like three touchdowns. Yeah, I think that's enough to win this game. Mm-hmm. It's 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 all about. This is a game where like those broader stats, um, as long as they're not like bad, and those certainly aren't bad. Um, they're just sort of. <laughs> From a yards per attempt, it's kind of mediocre. But like, it's mm-hmm. it's all about execution in small areas in this game. And Ohio State came into this season. Ohio State went into the the Notre Dame game, knowing that it's not you don't want to make this be a thing where Kyle McCord has to rescue the offense on a down to down basis. That's not what this team is built to do. That wasn't really obviously what the, I mean. CJ Stroud couldn't even do that last year again. Three points in the second half. It's not about like, and 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 I think his passing numbers probably don't look that bad in retrospect, but the score number sure does. Like you can't, they're not going to win this game scoring mm-hmm. three points in the second half probably. So I think it's it, again, it's more about the situation. It's more about, um, and I don't know if we want to break off into the whole common core discussion at this point, but this is where the receivers yes. do have to help, though. The receivers do have to to maximize their opportunities too. Yeah, let's break off into the Kyle McCord part of this because, uh, yeah, you're right. It's not the counting stats number because C.J. Stroud's numbers looked awesome the last two years against Michigan, and they lost the game anyway. I'm trying to figure out – because this game might honestly play out the same way the Notre Dame game played out. I don't know if it's going to be exactly where Ohio State's getting the ball back with you know 90 seconds basically on the clock and Kyle McCord having to drive the ball 75 yards down the field for a touchdown score. But I think it might be that close to where if that ends up being the scenario for either one of these quarterbacks, I won't be shocked in that situation. You said it all year, Nathan. This has never been a Kyle McCord has to carry the offense conversation. He just has to drive the car and not crash it. Don't crash the Corvette. Don't do anything flashy with the Corvette. Just drive it down the nice lane at 60 miles per hour quality. Is this a game where he, you, where you maybe 
fall back from that a little bit. And maybe there does come a point where he has, has to do a little bit more. And it's not a stats thing. It's just a, there's going to come a moment in this game where he can't just be, just drive the car, just work the offense. Maybe he has to do a bit more and take that extra step that maybe he was never going to get to full time this year. But because of the magnitude of this game, from a football standpoint, he might have to. Well, we've already seen him do it. I mean, we saw him do it against Notre Dame. I mean, when, mm-hmm. when he had to make the throw or throws on fourth down in that, and, and then on the, the you know, getting the ball to Mecca Abuka at the goal line, like, he got that done. Um, I, I think that, again, that's that's how I see this game playing out. Not necessarily that it's going to come down to a two-minute drill that Ohio State has to run to win it at the end, although it very, very well could. Uh, I really see it coming down to more um, it's just, did, did you execute, you know, it's, it's second quarter, third and six. Did you make that completion? Like, was that fine enough? And Marvin's double covered. And did you get the right read elsewhere? And did, you know, that's where this game's going to be decided. A, a drive that otherwise would have fizzled out and you have to punt from your own 38. Instead you drive and maybe that only is a field goal. But it's it's a huge difference in this game, and it comes back to a, a third down snap that sometimes gets lost. But that's where this game's going to be won. Um, and if, if Ohio State's doing it right, that's where this game is going to be won. And you're not putting it on. Because as I said after the Notre Dame game, the more times that you ask any quarterback, I don't care who it is, you're Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, like anytime you ask them to have to win you more games like there's only so many times you can come from behind in a fourth quarter with a two minute drill where you have to get a touchdown to win and have that come ahead for you. Like it's just statistically tough and they they're, they did it once. And I think it's important that he showed he could do it once. I just don't think you want to put him in that situation. And I think it comes down to more did was the execution there in the first three quarters um, and especially in the red zone. Like I'm going to keep coming back to that. But like, does it's it's been an area where I the last look we got at Comacord in terms of as they got closer to the red zone last week, that's where things seemed to wobble the most against Minnesota. Like there was the ball that he he I, I know why he threw the ball into the double coverage. I just don't. I, it wasn't a good read. It wasn't a good idea. Um, there was at least one other throw there that that could have been picked off. Like. I think that this is the game where um, you can least afford those mistakes, and this is the opponent that can most capitalize on those mistakes. Andrew, is the Notre Dame game a blueprint for what the expectation should be for Kyle McCord? When it's time to do it, you need to be able to do it. But to Nathan's point, it shouldn't be the case all game, which in the Notre Dame game, that was the case. Other guys did make plays, and Mecca Buka showed up. Travion Henderson had the run. The defense held up for most of the afternoon, most of the night. Is that the blueprint for what the expectation should be for Kyle McCord? I think it's easy to say that. I don't know if it's true because it, in a weird roundabout way, the defense for Ohio State matters in this conversation more because Notre Dame had zero points at halftime, right? You know, like Notre Dame had uh, 14 points total. And they had two second half drives in which they scored those touchdowns. So it's like, do you think Michigan can be more effective against Ohio State's defense? If the answer is yes, 
then I don't think you I don't think it's a blueprint at all because Kyle McCord is going to have to go out there and score 24 like I said earlier 24 27 like whatever number you want to land on that's fine but you're going to need Kyle McCord to do more whereas you know, it, it, you know, we saw that Notre Dame game, you know, that last drive, you know, there were a couple other moments where you just kind of flirted. You didn't capitalize when you needed to. And then you kind of flirted with disaster at specific moments like you. You can't have those type of things in, in a, or you can have those type of things in a game like that. You can, you know, not convert on fourth and goal if, if your defense is only going to allow 14 points. But if your defense is going to allow 24, you can't have that type of game like you have to do more if that makes sense. So I think that the blueprint is honest. The blueprint for Kyle McCord is based on what you think of Ohio State's defense. Because if Ohio State's defense can go out there and stop Michigan from getting to whatever number you think, or just whether it's a number thing or whether you're just saying they're going to get the ball back to Ohio State's offense consistently, then the blueprint's fine. Like if you if if you say, look, Michigan's going to score 16 points in this game. 17 points in this game. Then the blueprint's fine. Then the Notre Dame blueprint applies because then you're looking at Kyle McCord saying, "Don't screw it up, right? Don't don't put the don't put this car into the ditch. Don't turn it over. Make the throws you have to make to your stud receivers that are going to be the stud receivers. Turn around with the quote from Friday Night Lights, you got to you got to exist in those 2 seconds between the snap and getting booby the ball. It's the same thing with Marvin Harrison Jr. You got to exist in that 2 seconds between the snap, taking a three-step drop and firing a slant to Marvin Harrison Jr. And there are situations like that that I think are going to matter. But if Ohio State's defense is going to be more more apt and more prone to give up yards and points against Michigan than they were against Notre Dame. Then, then I think the Notre Dame or then, you know what I'm saying? Then I think the Notre Dame game plan kind of goes out the window and the Notre Dame blueprint kind of goes out the window for Kyle McCord, because then you're not asking him be, be careful with the football, protect the ball, you know, make plays when you have to make them. You're going to have to ask him to make more plays than just, Hey, it's third and 19, make the play of the season. You need him to kind of make big time plays every drive. So I, I think the answer is it depends. The answer is the blueprint for Kyle McCord. It could be what you think the Notre Dame game was. And I think that that's a fair circumstance to say. It just depends on how well you think Ohio State's defense is going to play on Saturday. Nathan, I think Ohio State lost. No, I don't think I know. I sat there and I watched it right next to you with Doug. Ohio State lost last year because Jim Knowles made some calls and his players didn't necessarily show up in the moment in those calls, and it led to explosive touchdowns for Michigan. And it has been a talk of conversation ever since. In fact, like eight of the questions Jim Knowles got on Tuesday when we were in there talking with Ryan Day and Jim Knowles and players were about explosive plays. Cody Simon and Denzel Burke answering questions about explosive plays. It has been such a topic of conversation that Ohio State obsessed over it, and now they've only given up one play of 40 yards or more this year, and it was on a fumble ruski trick play. That's how obsessive they've been over the fact that they gave up some of these explosive plays. And maybe it's a simple thing to look at here, but I'm looking at outside of those explosive plays, what J.J. McCarthy did in last year's game, it wasn't all that impressive. I'm looking at the fact that even if, okay, some of it was because they knew Penn State wasn't going to be able to score, 
They only threw the ball eight times in that game. And J.J. McCarthy last week didn't even look good, even with two touchdown passes against Maryland. This offense, the offensive line isn't fully healthy, even if guys are expected to play. Roman Wilson didn't play for the bulk of last week's game, coming off of what looked like a head injury. So maybe that's not as big of a, a thing there. But I'm still not scared of J.J. McCarthy as a thrower if Cameron Martinez doesn't get turned around or Cam- Cameron Brown doesn't make a tackle. Because I think if you put Davis and Igbenosin in that exact same situation, Davis and Igbenosin makes that tackle that Cameron Brown didn't make. Jordan Hancock holds up in coverage the way that Cameron Martinez didn't hold up in coverage this year. And so I think that the way they've improved with the explosive play thing makes with Michigan not being the most explosive passing attack in the get-go, if guys stay disciplined in the run game and don't allow Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards to just bust through holes with no gap discipline so it ends up in an explosive play and guys just hold up in coverage, I think that decides whether or not, to Andrew's point, the Notre Dame and the Penn State blueprint of how you don't have to ask Kyle McCord to do too much, that's how this works out is if Ohio State just doesn't give those explosive plays up to Michigan. Yeah, and I, I think I mentioned this earlier this week on the pod. I wrote a piece about it. I'm just going to reference it again. You know, Last year, Ohio State was, and again, this, this incorporates the numbers from Michigan and Georgia, just one of the worst defenses in the country as far as giving up big plays. 18 plays of 40-plus yards was 115th. 11 plays of 50-plus was 123rd. Six plays of 60-plus was 120th. And there's only 130-some teams in FBS. Like That tells you where they ranked. It, they were just, they were bad. And now they're the best team in the country at it. Like they they don't give up big plays. And last year, Michigan was one of the best teams in the country. They were in the top five in terms of 40 and 50 plus yard plays. They were, uh, they had eight plays of 60 plus yards. So one every, more than one every two games. And right now they're like 102nd in terms of plays of 40 plus yards. They've only had three plays of 50 plus all season. Like they're just, they aren't as explosive of an offense for whatever reason as they were last year. And, and Blake Corm doesn't seem to be the same running back he was when he was a, a Heisman candidate through like 10 weeks last year and, and looked like a guy that if he hadn't got hurt, might have won the darn thing, especially if he had played in the game and had a big game. Like that was how good he was last year. And as much as we're talking about Trevian Henderson and his absence being a big thing for Ohio State, Michigan will say, well, hold on a second. We, we won that game by 22 points. We didn't even have the guy who might have been the best running back in the country last year or one of them. So. This has been another area I mentioned earlier. There, there are factors of this game that are syncing up and, and trending in a way that favors Ohio State. And in addition to uh, what I was mentioning before about the run game, this is another one. Like This is another area where the, that last year was sort of a perfect storm. You had two things converging that really played against Ohio State's favor. Like... It, a team that was very, an offense that was very explosive versus they're very prone to allowing explosive defense. And we saw what happened again. I know what with the signals and whatnot, maybe also a factor, but just in terms of pure football, there are also numbers that would back up that that was a game that Ohio state was prone to have that happen. And now this is a defense that, um, as we talked about on the, after Tuesday's interviews, you know, I thought Jim Knowles just gave a great answer, which was, um, yeah, maybe who knows what was going on in that game that was beyond just us, beyond him not calling the right things and not having his defense prepared 
but now he is calling the right things and now his defense is prepared and that's sort of all that matters and that's the mindset that they're going into this game with i would if i had to bet right now let's 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 maybe we should mark it down like will ohio state give up its second play of 40 plus or more yards in this game because i think i would say it's more likely that they don't yeah i'm i'm going to say no because it's it's not just about them and how good they've been at not allowing that happen. It's to your point, Michigan not being it's not a strong suit of theirs. It's not like it's this thing of, you know, one team's explosive, one team doesn't allow explosive. What side wins? Which extreme wins? One team is already not allowing explosive and the other team's not really good at it. So the other team can just continue to not be ex- cannot give up explosives. So if you put it at let's just put it on a lot. One and a half explosives. So that's plays of 30 or more, as you said, Nathan. I'm going to take the under. Very easily there that Michigan doesn't have, has under one and a half explosive plays on Saturday. I, I said 40 or more, 40 yards or more, but. Um, you said 40? Oh, even yeah. low, even more of the I under. Would, I under, under, the under, 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 under. But again, but again, but again, even last year, it wasn't explosive plays that killed Ohio State. And this defense can recover from giving up an explosive play. No defense can recover really from giving up explosive touchdown. That's just six points. Like yeah. you, you can't mitigate that at all. You've given up the six points here. You can mitigate it. And Ohio state has done a great job of mitigating those. Anytime teams have broken off, not obviously not very many 40 yard play, but in 2030, like they recover from those things. And I, that's, I don't expect Michigan to be able to, flip that on his head. I, I As I analyze this game and as I've watched Michigan mm-hmm. in recent weeks, most importantly, I don't think I see Michigan just reversing this trend in a significant way. Andrew, one and a half explosive plays of 40 or more yards. Under. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm curious now that we're talking about this, like what is the national average for explosive plays in a game? Like, I, I don't know. Well, let like, me just look that up real quick on my trusty computer. Like, per team. Not really. Go ahead. I mean, per team, I don't know <laughs> what that average is. Um, You know, like, so I, I don't know if, I, I mean, I, I would say that it's a safe bet to say that no team is going to have more than, a, like, a 40-yard play. Like, I, I don't think that's crazy. I think Ohio State's far more likely to have, a, you know, an explosive play of, like, a you know, 40-plus yards like Nathan's talking about. Um, Yeah, but I... With Ohio so State, like, so, so it's hold on, just to, so, so if you have twelve, if you have twelve explosive plays at this point of the year, so more than one a game, but just barely, you'd rank sixty third nationally mm-hmm. of 40, 40 plus yards. Yep. Is what we're talking about. So, so yeah, the average is like one per game. These are not average mm-hmm. teams, and they are definitely not though average defenses, which is maybe the most important thing. Yeah, you know, I I, I will say under. I do hesitate though to say under maybe more than you guys because all it takes is one and i'm not even saying that michigan's gonna come out and run a fumble ruski on the first drive of the game and you know you know they're snapping the ball between the quarterback and the running back and you're just like wait a minute what did they we kind of like looked at each other in press box like did they just did did they do what we think what like we, we were very confused like all it takes is one blake quorum Forget defender falls down. Like I said earlier, Michigan's got some du- Michigan's got dudes too. Michigan's got dudes on scholarships too. Blake Corum can break a 40 yard run. And that's not crazy. 
And that doesn't mean Ohio State's defense has failed if you allow a 40-yard run, right? It doesn't mean you can't you it doesn't mean you can't allow a shutout. It doesn't mean you can't do anything. It just it just means that you allowed one bad play. And I think that like what team in the last handful of weeks, I like I understand that they've played, you know, some, you know, lower level opponents. Um, but like how many of those teams actively felt like you, they could torch you over and over and over again. Like Rutgers had to do it on a trick play. Wisconsin's offense. They, I mean, they were down some guys, they were injured. Ohio State's defense is great, but they also didn't really play a lot of guys. So I think Michigan might be the best equipped to just break one and to just have a 50 sure. yard run. Um, so I, I hesitate to hammer under, but I will say under, I will, I think that that's the safest bet here. So Blake Corum's longest runs of the year, he had a 54-yard run against the mighty Bowling Green State. He had a 44-yard run against Penn State. I think that was that run at the end of the game that kind of sealed things, if I'm remembering that correctly. And then he had a 40-yard run at Minnesota and then a 37-yard run against East Carolina, as you corrected, Jimmy, earlier this week. So those are the only runs he's had of over 20 yards. He's been – he's – Got a lot of touchdowns, obviously. He's been, been a touchdown magnet this year. But he's also been more volume than, I think, quality at times with his runs this year. 180 runs. He had 30. He has His last couple of games here, he had 26 runs against Penn State. He had 28 against Maryland. So it's just been more volume than overall quality, only 4.9 yards per carry. But to your point, he has shown in the past. I mean, he had an explosive run in the 2021 game as well, which where the bulk of his yards came from. So he is capable of doing it. He just hasn't necessarily done it as consistently as he did a year ago. Those are our three most important things right there. The receivers against the secondary, the offensive line against Ohio State's, I mean, against Michigan's defensive line, but more importantly, the run game and how they are in the red zone, how they execute the red zone. And then can Ohio State's defense – limit explosive plays, and more specifically, limit explosive touchdowns, which they weren't able to do last year. We're going to take a quick break right there. When we come back, Tishu will join us. A lot of betting talk this week because, listen, it's Michigan week. It's the game. So we're going long on everything here. It's the game. So we'll do that. And then after that, myself, Nathan, Andrew, we'll give our picks. Plus, I asked the Texers earlier this week just for some college game day signs they might have if they were going to Ann Arbor for the game this week. And I got we got some pretty funny ones, about nine or ten of those as well that I'll, I'll reveal here. And I think we're going to do a post for the site one as well. But we'll have more, but I'll, I'll preview some of those on this pod. So we'll get into more of that here when we come back on Buckeye Talk. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back here on Buckeye Talk. It's Stephen Means. I'm joined by Tyler Shoemaker. It's time to talk Ohio State. It's time to talk Michigan. It's time to talk betting. 
Ohio State is the underdog in this game by three and a half right now, according to Vegas. I don't think your, your index says it that way right now. If I'm reading this correctly, how different is your line from what Vegas is saying? And how should people be looking at how they're going to just bet the who's going to win the game part of this before we get into all the prop bet stuff, which I think is pretty interesting this week. Yeah, this game is really hard, obviously, because of whether it's the Connor Stallion stuff or whether it's because Jim Harbaugh hasn't been on the sidelines, you know, due to that or J.J. McCarthy's kind of banged up. I don't know what the reason is, but I'm having a really hard time kind of handicapping this game because so my normal formula, like taking in, you know, season long metrics, I project Michigan minus six and a half. But the problem is. Like I, I've been digging deep on this this week because you know the eye test over the last month since Connor Stallions got fired, Jim Harbaugh has been suspended. The eye test says Michigan hasn't looked the same. Now they've also played yeah. better teams, so I wanted to look at the you know opponent adjusted metrics over the last month. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you some stats. I, I normally don't do this, but I think it's it's worth pointing out this week. So if I just weigh the last month a little more heavily, like half of their rating is the last month and half of their rating is everything before that. I would project Ohio state minus three. That's, that's how much of a difference there is in, in their performance over the last month compared to the first two months of the season in tempo and a, an opponent adjusted metrics, net EPA, Ohio, Ohio state third, Michigan 36th net points per play, Ohio state first, Michigan 18th net yards per point. Ohio State first, Michigan 18th. So there's a huge disparity in, in, in how these teams are played, and that's opponent adjusted over the last month. Ohio State's kind of surging and, and trending the right direction, and Michigan's kind of going the opposite way. So even though my season-long number says Michigan minus six and a half, one thing I've learned as a better over the last few years is in rivalry games, you know, the last week of the season, like yes, I'm I'm gonna look at the numbers, but y- you gotta kind of dig a little bit deeper this week than than you normally would have to and when i dig deeper it screams ohio state at me before the last two weeks because i think so much of this is being swayed by the fact that hardball is not on the sideline it's the reason why jj mccarthy was getting asked how different things are when jim hardball is not on the sideline even if sharon moore has been the play sharon moore has been the play caller all year it's still it's different when you don't have your head coach on the sideline with you that does matter Ohio State knows that all too well from 2018 not having your head coach even if the offense still you know was at a high level it's still it's different you don't have your head coach there how are you viewing this game before Jim Harbaugh's suspension uh I would say if you you know if we would have talked about this a month ago four or five weeks ago, I, I was not feeling great about Ohio State's chances in this game. Michigan was looking like a buzzsaw. Ohio State obviously had some offensive issues they were trying to work out, both at, at running back and offensive line. The offensive line's been better for the most part, I think. Uh, and the emergence of a healthy Travion Henderson, I think, to me, is the X factor in this game. You know, I mean, remember, he, he didn't play last year. They were down to Chip Trainum last year, who was the third string back. A healthy Travion Henderson doing what he's been doing, I think, is the absolute X factor. If you would have told me, you know, even a month ago that Ohio State would have the running back advantage in this game, I probably would have laughed. But I, I, I honestly think uh, I was listening to, to Doug and Bill and Doug kind of described it as 
these running back rooms are pretty even, but Ohio State's is more dangerous, and I think that's right. I think Travion Henderson makes the Ohio State backfield more dangerous than the Michigan backfield, and that's not something I would have said even a month ago. So just to get into some of these prospects, I, I wanted to start with Travion Henderson too. When these came out, that's the first thing I did. Let's go look at Travion Henderson's over-under for rushing yards in this game because he's had at least 100 yards in his last five games all but once, and that was the Michigan State game where he played 25 snaps because Mm -hmm. he won that game by so many points. The Notre Dame game, the Wisconsin game, the Rutgers game, and then obviously last week against Minnesota, he had 100-plus yards in those games, and well over 100 with some explosive plays. We were actually joking about some of that stuff last (laughs) week. It's like, well, well, there's your explosive play, and that's how he gets it. Yep. Vegas has him at 83 and a half over under on rushing yards. And to your po- point, the po- I think that's the main point is who has the better running back room in this situation with the way this game might have to play out. What would your, what would you tell people about that over under eight, 83 and a half for Travion Henderson on rushing yards? Yeah. So we definitely missed the boat last week. Yeah. <laughs> I, I completely misread that last week. I tweeted you and was like, yeah, I'm, I'm regretting my position on that. This week, I'm right with you. I, that was one of the first things I looked at. So you can bet it you know, over 88.5, I think. And that's like minus 114, minus 115, something like that on the odds. Or you can do his alternate rushing yards over 100 at plus 188. So almost two to one that he goes for 100 yards or more. So that, that's, what I'm gonna, that's where I'm going to go here. Travion over 100 rushing yards at plus 188. So as we continue this, let, Marvin keeps scoring touchdowns, and I think that's probably a fair thing to assume that maybe he scores a touchdown at this point in this game. Because one, he just needs it. He needs the stats because he's got to continue his Heisman Trophy campaign. But that doesn't mean he's going to have the yardage and the overall touches that goes with it, which is why both Emeka and Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Abuka, 52.5 over under for receiving yards, Marvin Harrison Jr., 87.5 um, over under receiving yards when you look at those two numbers which one are you more comfortable with saying oh he's going to get the over i think i would say in mecca the problem is mike Sanders still they're they're kind of jordan hancock type of guy on their defense who kind of does a little bit of everything he's very good and i don't obviously know how they're gonna line him up is he gonna be on Marvin sometime. Like, I don't, I don't know where he's going to be lined up and that would impact my evaluation of, of these props. So I think gun to my head, I would say a Mecca, but I really don't love either just because the uncertainty, you know, is Michigan going to come out strategically and try to just take Marvin away like Notre Dame did in that case, then I love a Mecca, you know, but I, I don't know how they're going to play it. Uh, so I, I don't love either of those, but I'd probably lean a Mecca there. And then last one, just uh, I'm curious about before we get into some stuff that maybe you think is is interesting as well. Kyle McCord over under passing yards, 237 and a half, which I think coming into a season, if you go, hey, the Ohio State quarterbacks over under for passing yards in the Michigan game is 237 and a half. Over, 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 yeah. over. Just the way this game is played out, right? Whether you're talking Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields, or even CJ Stroud the last few years. But with the way this offense has worked this year, I am wondering whether you think that over is correct. It's tough because, I mean, like you said, like in a vacuum, if you'd say the Ohio State quarterback has an over-under that low, like that's an automatic over. But I think 
I think Ohio State's going to have to approach this game differently. You know, the last couple of years, CJ's thrown for a million yards. It didn't translate to wins. And I, again, I go back to Travion. I think he's going to be the X factor here, and I think they're going to ride him. I think he, if he has 25 touches in this game, I'm not going to be the least bit surprised. Uh, so I, and I mean, the Michigan secondary is very, very good. So I, I don't know that that's probably a stay away for me. I mean, I guess if I absolutely had to make a play, I would probably go over just because of, you know, what they've done the last couple of years and it being the Ohio state offense. But man, I, I don't, I don't love it just because I, I think they're going to have to just ride Travion. And I know all the ones I just pointed out, Travion is probably the one where of the four I pointed out that seems the have the least nerves around it where the other ones is maybe is better to stay away just because of what the game plans are of what either yeah. of these teams might be. Are there some bets though? Are there some props out there that people should be paying attention to in this game? Yeah. I like one guy we haven't talked about yet. It's Cade Stover, our guy. We, we forgot about him, but he's back. Seems We're healthy. back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> we, we are back. I'm not, I'm not going to the yards uh, uh-huh. like, again. And my reluctance on some of these is not, a lack of confidence in the Ohio State offense in this game. It's more just like, I don't know how they're going to attack. The The thing I'm most confident in in, in the offensive attack is that they're going to ride Travion. As far yeah. as the passing game, I don't, it, again, it just depends on how Michigan tries to defend it. But I like Cade Stover anytime touchdown at plus 210. I mean, two to one odds for Cade Stover. You know, they've used him in the red zone quite a bit uh, as as a weapon. To your point, maybe they go to Marv a little bit there, but I, at two to one odds for Kate Stover to catch a touchdown here, you know, he almost had the one last year that Mike Sainer still just ripped out of his hands in the end zone. I think Kate Stover gets a touchdown here. And then I also uh, I have one more. So I was going to play the Ohio State team total over 20 and a half. But then the more I dug in on that particular angle, betting the Ohio State team total over was like minus 105 or minus 110 at that number. Or you can bet Ohio State over two and a half touchdowns at plus 120. So you're basically betting, for all intents and purposes, the same thing, but you're getting plus 120 on this bet. So I'm going to go Ohio State over two and a half touchdowns for the game at plus 120 odds. Okay. We're going heavy on the betting this week, but we're also going heavy on everything because, like I said, it's the game. You, you go big or go home with a game like this, right. both on the field and the way you talk about this game. But there are this is also rivalry week. There are other rivalry games across the country being played this week other than USC and UCLA, who for some reason decided to play there was a week earlier than everybody <laughs> else, which, okay, that's a weird thing. You're joining the Big Ten now. Don't do that anymore. But other rivalry games that maybe fans should be paying attention for from a betting perspective. Yeah, first on the on the USC UCLA point, I hope they don't bring that type of scheduling with them. But I do love the home and home look. I wish Ohio yes. State and Michigan would do it. So yes, th- this is my I'm using my platform here to to lobby yes. for home and home uh, uniforms for for the game. I don't know how people feel about that, but I love it. Uh, as far as betting, uh, Washington Washington State that over under it's ticked down a little bit. It was sixty eight and a half or higher. It's down to sixty eight. I like the under. I project that at like 59. So I'm going to play the Washington, Washington State under 68. And then one that's not, I mean, maybe it's a rivalry. I don't know. No one cares about it outside of the Northeast. But UMass and UConn are playing. (laughs) UMass is a two and a half point underdog. Every formula that I look at says they should be favored. So I'm going to play UMass plus two and a half against UConn. 
So there are some other rivalry games that are happening this week for you, but also a lot of good stuff betting-wise. Tissue does a great job for us all season long. This might be it. <laughs> Depending <laughs> on what happens on Saturday, this might be it. But if not, Tissue will join us again next week. If Ohio State wins this weekend, Tissue will be back with us next week when Ohio State has the Indy to play Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game, which – just burns my soul having to say out loud. Spoiler alert, if that happens, we're playing the Iowa team total under. I don't care. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would. Yes. All the way under. So much under that it might shift Vegas and we might have to play the over just because it's of it. So much under, it's going to be negative. I would bet them yes. under negative points. <laughs> yes. Wow, Ferris. Okay. But we'll see. That that still has not come to fruition yet. What happens has to happen versus Ohio State has to go to Ann Arbor to play Michigan in the game, the 2023 version of it, in the last version that will ever mean this much. It'll all still be a rivalry, but it will never have this much at stake ever again, making this probably maybe the most special version of it ever. When we come back from the break here, Nathan and Andrew will rejoin me. We'll give our game picks. Boss will also get more into the defensive side of the ball. We did a lot of offense on the first part of this pod. We'll do a lot more defense when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. And we're back here on Buckeye Talk. We spent a lot of time talking about the offense in the first segment of this podcast. We talked a little bit of defense, especially in talking about the explosive plays. But I think on offense, the playmakers that matter – are kind of known. You understand that it's like, hey, can the interior of this offensive line hold up? You understand it's like, hey, Marvin Harrison Jr., can he be Marvin Harrison Jr.? Emeka Buka, is he back to being the Emeka Buka we know? Kate Stover, Travion Henderson, Kyle McCord, can he basically have a repeat but a better version almost than what he was against Notre Dame and against Penn State and continue his progression? On defense, Nathan, for the Ohio State, really, there's a long list of different guys who can have a significant impact on the game. But the person I want to start with is Sonny Styles, And it's because we were both asking Jim Knowles about this on Tuesday and the idea of this seemed like the perfect game for why Sonny Styles was the nickel, right? Because he's a bigger guy who does, who's also super athletic, five-star recruit, supposed to be this like all-world type of athlete. And it made so much sense once you started thinking about how Michigan likes to do things offensively. They have plays where they have seven offensive linemen on the field. But now it doesn't seem like you can do that nearly as often in a world where Lathan Ransom is probably not playing in this game. No, we know for sure. He's not playing in this game. Ryan Day has already said that it's a long-term thing. There's no expectation that Lathan Ransom plays. So Sonny Styles is going to be your starting bandit while Jordan Hancock is your starting nickel, but we have seen Jihad Carter come in and play that bandit role. So Sonny Styles can come down and play nickel. When you look at the usage of how they might use Jordan Hancock and how much they might use Sonny Styles as that nickel, is that question more important in a game like this? Because you got to kind of figure it out in a way that maybe you had already figured it out before the season had started. Well, so the question that I wanted to ask Jim Knowles related to the way that they used against 12 personnel last week, because I think it is just so informative because of you know that mammoth package that Michigan uses where they're going to put seven offensive linemen and two tight ends in the game. And, you know, yesterday, uh, I think Cody Simon was asked, do you see any difference between the way Michigan's running its offense with or without Jim Harbaugh at these games? He said, no, that they're just going to, they're still trying to out physical you really beat you up. And, and this is an example of that. So the question that I asked him, Knowles, was because Jordan Hancock's been so good. Like, he's been just fantastic. 
And it is definitely, as we talked about, a hit to lose Lathan Ransom. Because when 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 Styles and Hancock could combine for a nickel, that made that even more valuable. Like you were you were maximizing every snap defensively at that position. So, but when Styles has to move back to Bandit and you make Hancock the nickel, that also seemed like a a decent fallback option. But last week they were bringing on the twelve personnel snaps, uh, two tight end snaps by Minnesota. They were bringing Jihad Carter into the game and moving Styles back up to nickel. And I think there's a lot in this game that is now on Jihad Carter because I think he's it. it Jim Knowles said he equated it to having kind of a dual threat quarterback. He's calling Jordan Hancock sort of like a dual threat quarterback. And yes, he can run, but you don't want to run him too much because you don't want him to be banged up when he needs to throw. And to me, that was, you don't want Jordan Hancock, even though he's been, he's played very tough. He's shown a willingness to go up there and stick his, his helmet in the, in there and get, make stops on defense. He's made some some big TFLs this year coming on blitzes against the run on defense. But you don't want to overexpose a smaller guy like that against a team this physical that they're about to play, even against Minnesota. So I think there's a lot on Jihad Carter. As much as, like, some of that is the versatility of Sonny Styles, And that's where this comes back to, is he does give you that versatility to where on those early downs, it makes more sense to put, or I'm sorry, on the passing downs, make, makes more sense to have him at, Bandit have Hancock in the game, but I think we're going to see a lot on early downs, and especially on those twelve personnel, those the big package that they use. It Hancock will be, or I'm sorry, Styles will be at nickel, and Carter's going to be at strong safety. And you know, for a long part of this season, Jod Carter hasn't been a huge part of this defense, and he's going to have to be in this game. Quick thing before you go, Andrew. So the problem is there hasn't been a game quite like this where we've been able to get a real understanding of how they might use Jordan Hancock because the one time we would have maybe seen it was the Penn State game but Denzel Burke didn't play so we ended up having double duty role he was playing inside and he was playing outside he played 69 snaps in that game he played 29 snaps in the slot and then he played 22 outside and then obviously depending on what an offense is doing sometimes you might end up high in the safety spot and whatnot but that's just depending on how an offense is lined up or whatnot because of what everything you just align outlined there from what how Jim Knowles was talking about not overextending Jordan Hancock if Michigan if Ohio State has 65 defensive snaps how many of those are with Jordan Hancock on the field? Well, I think that's dictated by what Michigan does with its 65 snaps. That was kind of the point of the question that I was asking yesterday because it it seems like it, it, it's a tough call because I think Jordan Hancock right now is a better overall football player than Jihad Carter is. Not that Jihad Carter is a bad one, but if you're if you're lining them up, I think Jordan Hancock's been more valuable for this team. But he he made the distinction, and I thought this was important because we've always talked about nickel safety. We really need like because that's the way he talked about it first. But really, it's just we should just call it nickel because he very clearly sees it as well. Sometimes it's like nickel corner. Sometimes it's nickel safety. Sometimes it's nickel Sam linebacker, and that's the distinction he made yesterday. That in these kinds of matchups, these bigger when you're matching up with bigger formations. You need a nickel Sam, and Sonny Styles is the nickel Sam. 
Jordan Hancock is the nickel DB. And I think that the more Michigan, especially probably on early downs, the more Michigan is playing big packages, maybe it's not even mammoth, but even if it's just 12 personnel with five offensive linemen, a lot of times you're probably going to see Jihad Carter at safety, Jordan Hancock on the sideline, and Sonny Styles at nickel. That's the impression that I get today. Maybe that changes. Maybe they feel like in the non-mammoth situations they can get away with having Hancock out there a little bit more, maybe especially on if it's not first and 10, maybe if it's second and longer, that's where you make that switch, even if they have 12 personnel out there. But just the impression that you get from Jim Knowles yesterday was at a, against a team this big and physical, they want Jordan Hancock on the field when it's advantageous, but they're going to want Jahad Carter on the field when it's um, when Michigan's trying to get that size and physical advantage. I think that's going to be a really interesting thing to watch for the first couple of series, because I don't know if they're going to drastically change it in like the third quarter. I think if if it ends up just being a situation where you know, the first quarter, we get to the end of that first quarter and say, oh, it felt like Jordan Hancock was out there for every snap, regardless of what you know formation Michigan was in, unless it was clearly that mammoth situation where you do need to go a little bit bigger. You might go three linebackers with Cody Simon, Tommy Eichenberg, and Steel Chambers in those situations. But if there's five DBs out there and it just constantly feels like it's Jordan Hancock out there, then this might not be an issue. But I, I, I'm on alert for that too, Nathan, the idea that Jahat Carter hasn't played a ton this year, but he might play the most snaps he's played all year just because of the scenario might recall, might need for them to have more, you know, a, a bigger package out there. Andrew, I want to ask you about the linebacker situation here. Because there was a point early in this year where the linebackers were fine, but they weren't necessarily playing at an elite level. But Cody Simon has been a quality third linebacker, really more like two and a half. Like a, he's almost like a co-star of the way he's been playing this year at times. Seal Chambers has been better, and you're getting Tommy Eichenberg back. How important is that group in a game like this where, once again, you don't have Lathan Ransom to clean up some of this stuff. When they were making some of the mistakes early in the season, it felt like Lathan Ransom was cleaning up a lot of that stuff, so it wasn't turning into explosive plays. Michigan's going to try to run the ball, and then they're going to try to run the ball, and then they're going to try to run the ball some more. How important is that linebacker group in a game like this in terms of just being secure tacklers? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's huge because you mentioned you don't have ransom and not having kind of that secondary option to, to like you said, help clean things up is a problem. You, I Again, you know, you look back to the Notre Dame game and you've seen growth from the linebackers even from then. Um, you know, the Steel Chambers after that game was like, we didn't play well. Like, we absolutely did not play well. He said that their eyes were all over the place, that, you know, Notre Dame was doing some different things with RPOs. And, you know, again, like we've said, along with Michigan and a bunch of other teams, you know, they have scholarship players, too. They're, you know, they can scheme up some things, too. But Ohio State, their linebackers, I thought, stepped up in that game in the, you know, that game was such a moments game. And I thought their linebackers played well in moments. Like you look at Cody Simon, like making that play on, I think it was Notre Dame's first drive of the game where he pushes Hartman out. And Ohio State gets a turnover on downs like those are the types of plays that I think are going to be big this weekend. And those are the type of moments that I would expect Ohio State's linebackers to make this weekend. I mean, you're talking about a group that has played a bunch now, right? Like Eichenberg, Chambers, they've played a lot. 
You've seen Cody Simon play a lot. I mean, he played a lot against Notre Dame. He's played a handful of snaps over these last couple of weeks against Michigan State and Minnesota. Like this is this is a linebacking core that's experienced, and you're gonna have to rely on them because, like you said, it's an interesting thing. I think Bill Landis has this question. I think where it was he asked to Jim Knowles, like, "What do you do when Michigan sends out seven offensive linemen?" And Jim brought up the point, like, "Look, there's a lot of gaps there." And there's a lot of things that have to get, you know, that have to get plugged up. And when that happens, yeah, it's on the defensive line. And Jim has praised, you know, Jim Knowles has praised the defensive tackles, Tyleek Williams, Mike Hall, Ty Hamilton, Hero Canoe. He's praised them all year long for making tackles. But there are also gaps that the linebackers have to fill. And if you don't fill them, that's when Blake Corum hits a 40-yard run and we can add another tally to that explosive play for Ohio State that they've allowed like those are the type of plays that the linebackers have to kind of be aware for because it's a different type of environment than you've seen the majority of this year I, I think it's a little bit similar to what you saw against Notre Dame and and I think that that's where the linebackers are going to have to shine out because you might have to play three of them at, at certain points of the at certain points of this game which interior defensive line group would you rather have Nathan Michigan's or Ohio State's Ah, well, I I know that might be a wash. I mean, they're both, they're both strong. Um, they're both really strong and they're both, it it goes beyond just two guys, right? It goes down to the third or fourth guy, especially, I mean, Michigan might even be a little bit deeper on guys that you, you trust as like frontline caliber players right now. Um, I think that this is though a huge game for for Ohio State's guys. I mean, this third year group and it, it, the defensive line is, is chief among it, right? Like, you know, with Tuomalo and Sawyer on the edges, but then Tyreek Williams and Mike Hall Jr. in the middle. Like, this is, I mean, this whole class, this is the game that they've been waiting three years to play. Not just play, but control. Like, th- this is their opportunity to show what they are that this that this defensive line group that came in together that would, and could be the nucleus of this defense and, and has been all season. Jim Knowles, I thought, has been making an important point this year, which which is, I guess, Andrew, you're sort of alluding to it too. That it's not there was one thing if you're a defensive lineman that's like taking up blocks. There's another thing if you're a defensive lineman that is making tackles, and they're going to have to make tackles. They're going to have to keep that going this week because just taking up a block is still letting a guy into the second level. And when they're winning on numbers, as they're trying to do with those bigger formations, then there might be another blocker coming into that second level, and that's where you've got a problem. I think that guys like Tyleek Williams and Mike Hall playing their best is going to be fairly critical to this game. It's probably, I guess that's maybe the way I would phrase it, is it's, I think, maybe more critical for Ohio State's defensive interior to play its best game than it is for Michigan in some way. Only because while the Michigan offensive line I don't think is as good as it was the last two years, I still think that might be a tougher matchup for Ohio State's defensive line than Ohio State's offensive line is for Michigan. We haven't seen Mike Hall really do anything yet. We we haven't necessarily seen him be the game break wrecker that I thought he was at times last year. And I don't I don't even know if I mean that as an insult. I think it's also a combination of Tyleek Williams has kind of been awesome, 
Jack Sawyer and, Ty- and JT Trimaloa on the outside have been really good. We've seen Hero Canoe flies. Ty Hamilton's been really stout on the interior as well. But and maybe some of this is Mike Hall is also doing two jobs. Sometimes he's the three tech, sometimes he's the nose. So his job isn't always just, hey, go get the passer like it was at times last year. But I th- we haven't seen him have the Mike Hall game yet. And against Notre Dame in 2022, and then obviously against Michigan State, he had games where it was like, oh, that's why Nathan was driving the bus for that kid. <laughs> that's why Larry Johnson was like, oh, he ain't no three. I don't think we've seen that quite yet, and I feel like he might be due. Well, so, I mean, he was second on this team in, in pressures by the PFF numbers going into last week, and then Jack yeah. Sawyer passed him when he couldn't play. Um, and uh, so I think he's still second or third in, like, pressures per game. He's still been a consequential player for this defense. I understand what you're saying, that we haven't seen. It's been seen, quieter, though. It hasn't been, like, I feel like, wrecking games. But the defensive line yeah. as a whole has wrecked games, and he's he's been a part yeah. of that. And I, I think that it there probably is some truth to the attention that he came into this season with, I think, did help Tyreek Williams early on. If there was a if there was an Ohio State defensive lineman that you were going to fear early on this season and give more attention to, it was going to be Hall. And then now I don't know between the two of them, it's hard to pick which one to double. Now, if you're playing a nine man front, yeah, you get to double multiple guys. So that's that's why Michigan's doing this, <laughs> and it's going to be up to Ohio State to sort of schematically counter that, but then also just play soundly behind the defensive line and, and be ready for that. Andrew, what do you think about this, especially the interior? One, I asked Nathan, like, which group would you rather have, Michigan's or Ohio State? But then also just, is it, how critical is it for Ohio State's defensive, especially the interior, to kind of have a a high-level day on Saturday? Well, I mean, you look at Michigan's defensive line, like Chris Jenkins, um, the son of former NFLer Chris Jenkins. um, He's, he's a, he's your more traditional, kind of defensive tackle where you you kind of look at the box score yeah two tackles here two and a half tackles here no sack like you kind of look at that and then you watch him play a little bit and you look at some of the other things that go into deep playing defensive tackle and you immediately go oh oh i see so they're they're different they're the defensive lines are different i think um I I lean more wash. I think both defensive ta- like interior groups are really good. I don't I mean, I don't I mean, I don't know if you guys I know this wasn't the question, but I'm not taking Michigan's edge rushers over Ohio State's edge rushers. So like I think interiors where Michigan would have to make up that gap um and I think Ohio State can kind of play that to a wash. Um but yeah, I mean, interior like the interior pressure this week is going to be huge because that is how you wreck a game, and that is how you make J.J. McCarthy feel very uncomfortable when he's trying to pass the ball, if you can collapse the pocket. And that is how you take away what Blake Corum can do. I mean, you mentioned earlier, Stephen, you were asking me about the linebackers, right? Well, Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers and Cody Simon are pretty good and as, as individuals, and as a trio, I think they're very good. and. When Blake Corum has to make a cut or take a step or take an extra something, take an extra beat to find a hole because there's, you know, you know, center gets collapsed, right guard gets pushed, but whatever it is, 
that is where the linebackers can fill. And that is what a defensive line can do. And I mean, this is a game that you, you always kind of fall back to the cliches in a big game like this. And I hate to do it, but this is a game where putting Michigan behind the chains is a really big deal. You know, putting them behind the sticks and in second and 10 and in, you know, maybe even like second and long, like second and longer than 10 or second and eight, second and seven. Like these are the types of plays that you need from your defensive line. And that's how you do it. Like if this defensive line can can create havoc up front, not only are you making J.J. McCarthy start to maybe glance a little bit at what's going on up front, you are doing things that affect the run game, and that's what Michigan wants to do. And if you affect the run game, I, I think you're just playing right into Ohio State's hands right there. One more factor before we talk about Ohio State's defensive backs. Donovan Edwards has been a vital part of Michigan's passing attack for most of the season. He's got 24 catches for 225 yards. No touchdowns, though, but no catches the last two weeks. We know why against Penn State, because they threw the ball eight times. But even against Maryland, not necessarily being used there. From the linebacker standpoint, I think that's one more thing that will be interesting there. We'll steal Chambers. We've talked about how much better of a coverage linebacker. He's probably their best cover linebacker. So that, I think, is a almost – it's not – at the high end of the matchup scale, but it is something to watch if they get Donovan Edwards more involved in the passing game, how effective is Steel Chambers in that situation. Nathan, any any nervousness, any, any weird feelings about these corners? I mean, it did happen last year. Like, that, things went left last year. Now, there's reasons. And whether you want to look at the sign-stealing allegations or you just want to look at the fact that guys weren't healthy, there's a list of reasons for why these corners weren't very good in this game last year, but they weren't. Very good in this game last year. They've been better. Denzel Burke especially has been almost all-American level at times. And Davison Igbenosin has been some heck of a spark for this cornerback room just in general. But last time we saw these corners against Michigan, it didn't go well. So is there any part of you that's worried at all about what Roman Wilson or I think Cornelius Johnson's back on this team might be able to do on Saturday? I don't think worried is the right word. Um, and I guess I would go so far as to say no. Like, do I think Michigan could make some plays against Ohio State's corners? Sure. This is this is a good team. Okay. Um, do, but last year going into that game, there was suspect secondary play all season for Ohio State last year. And and primarily from the cornerbacks. And there were factors with injuries and things like that that, that played into it. We've talked about that stuff ad nauseum. Denzel Burke was just barely getting healthy at this time last year. Jordan Hancock was never really healthy. Cam Brown had played through any number of things as he always did pretty much every year of his Ohio State career. Like it just wasn't a unit that was physically ready or physically able and then therefore mentally able to do the things it needed to do. So that hasn't been an issue at all this year. And in fact, the opposite's been true. It's been as stable as any unit on the team. And I think the bigger question is not so much the cornerbacks in coverage. If you're if you're looking at coverage issues in this game, I would point to either, I would point to two things. Number one, there are still times where Ohio State safeties get matched up one and one one on one in coverage, and that's where I think they're more vulnerable. And that's probably especially true with Lathan Ransom not available. That's where I mean I would imagine Michigan in those two tight end situations will take some shots 
at matching somebody up with Jihad Carter. That's my that's what I assume will happen when when Ohio State counters with that scheme. So he's going to have to be ready for that. And I think that Michigan probably looks at times whether it's if it's Tommy Eichenberg or Cody Simon on the field and it has two really good tight ends that it likes, it's probably going to try to match up some stuff with tight ends on Ohio State's linebackers. Probably not as much Steel Chambers. That's where his strength is. But those other two guys, depending on when they're on the field. And I thought you alluded to something, Andrew, that we kind of skip by in the, the linebacker discussion. This might be the week where Ohio State plays three of those guys. That's the other thing that we haven't really factored, is that maybe it's not Jahard Carter that's on the field. Maybe they go with a true Sam linebacker, which could be Cody Simon. It could be something they've been saving CJ Hicks for. I don't know. Get another real linebacker on the field and then keeps Sonny Styles back at Bandit. That, I think, is on the table for something that could happen in a game like this. They have those options. But either way, you're still potentially having some plus coverage matchups with Michigan's tight ends. So those are the two areas where I think they're more vulnerable than I than I am thinking that Michigan will be able to take advantage of something against Ohio State's corners with just receivers. Thoughts, Andrew, on that? Yeah, I mean, I look back to last year. Um, you know, I, I rewatched some of the game um, from last year, last night. And one of the things that stood out to me, obviously the big plays and everything like that, but th- we talked about this with the sign stealing stuff and we talked about, uh, look, I'm not, I'm not here to relitigate the sign stealing and how much it mattered or any of that. Like, cause you know, if you want to say whatever you can, but like there was a situation and I wrote this down seven thirty five left in the second quarter and Ohio State had Michigan third and nine at Michigan's own 31 yard line and Michigan or Michigan's down a touchdown at this point. And McCarthy throws a ball to Cornelius Johnson and Johnson catches it a yard short of the sticks. And if Cam Brown comes up and makes a tackle, the, oh, Michigan's punting there. I mean, I get or, or they have a very gutsy decision to go for it on their own side of the field at like their own 40 yard line. Cam Brown does not make a tackle. And Cornelius Johnson runs 60 yards for a touchdown and it's 10, 10. And do I, do I bring this up to say that Ohio state would have won had Cam Brown made that tackle? No, I'm not saying that the game would have flipped or the game would have. What I am saying is you feel better about the corners than you did last year. Like I, do you feel better about Davis and Igbenosin making that tackle or Cam Brown making that tackle in that situation? Davis and Igbenosin's in the same situation, 10-3, 7.35 left in the second quarter, and he's got to make a tackle where the receiver catches the ball with his back to the first down, one yard short of the sticks. I feel pretty confident in Davis and Igbenosin to make that ta- tackle. I feel pretty confident that Davison's going to make that play. And I just think the corners are better this year, and forget the calls, forget the sign stealing, forget the everything else. I just feel better about them as a unit and I just feel better about them talent-wise than than I think you had to feel about Ohio State secondary last year. So, yeah, I, there's not a ton of concern. I like Nathan said, can Michigan get a couple shot plays? Sure, it, Michigan's good. Michigan's got talent. Those guys have scholarships too. Those guys got recruited too. They're good. But I just think that Ohio State's secondary is much improved from last year. And like it, it was crazy for me not being on the beat and kind of looking at some of the game from last year and being like, this isn't the same. This isn't the same defense. They're definitely 
11 new players on this defense, right? There had to be. Like, it felt very different for me. Um, so it was kind of nice, like a nice little test. But, you know, compared to compared to last year, yeah, I I mean, the corners, it's not really a concern. I, I, I think you have to feel pretty stout in what they can do. And frankly, when you compare it to last year's game, what they can prevent. Last thing, because we have to talk about it. Because we have to. This is where it all began. Well, not well. This is where it all went haywire to begin with. Special teams. We've continued to talk about it all year, going back to last year in the Michigan game, where they messed up a fake punt and they messed up a fake punt against Georgia. Now, it's not the only thing that caused them to lose both of those games, but it's very much high on the list of part of the reasons why they lost both of those games. And the special teams issues have sh- – I don't think they had one against Minnesota, though. So the Minnesota game snapped the streak of special teams issues. Please, if I'm wrong, somebody tell well, me. Wasn't, I don't think they had one. Hang on. Wasn't there a play where o- Ohio State was – they had more on the field than they were supposed to, and they were running guys <laughs> off? I remember – I think Does that, that, that count, was – Does that count, though, if you, like, fixed it before the play got snapped, though? Are I don't we gonna know, count that but it's kind, of me- it's, it's, it's kind of messy, I think, would be the best way it's, to say that. So it wasn't it was a, a play problem, but there was some <clears> – <throat> <clears throat> yeah, I think there was one. There was a um, a punt that Jane Ballard should have fielded, and he he didn't. Maybe also in the game. Yeah, but, yeah. Anyway, it's one of those things where again, are, it, it might have. It was a minor yeah. thing. Yeah, but in a but season because of long, the problem. Yeah, in a season where it just comes up every week, then you start adding it to the list. But it was they're, it was a game not, where it yeah. wasn't a loud special teams problem. I guess I would say against Minnesota. Right. Yeah, I, that's the best way to put it. It's because it's, it's become such a problem. Now you have to nitpick it because you're always looking for it now because you're expecting it. I did. I, I am going to use the word alert and worry in this situation. If you were an Ohio State fan, I th- and I think I've asked this question a couple of times, but we're in the week now and we're 24 hours from the game being played as a lot of people are listening to this pod. Nathan, I'll start with you. How alert, how worried would you be if you are an Ohio State fan that something is going to go wrong on special teams on Saturday? That is drastic. I think there has to be some level of worry. I think that we've they've put themselves in that place. And I, as I've said before, I, I don't think it's only a screw-up in a game, a mistake that is a factor here. Because you can play a clean game of special teams. But, again, last year against Michigan. Last year against Michigan and against Georgia, both. Ohio State had plays synced up, like lined up, ready to go. Ryan Day said, go do this. Like, he made the the call as the head coach. Let's do this. We've prepared for this. We're ready for it. Let's let's spring this play for the advantage. Does he have confidence in the special teams when the position, field position, time of game, score, everything lines up, they get the look they want from Michigan, when everything lines up again, does he have the confidence to call that play? Because last year, it would have changed the complexion of both of those games, especially the Michigan game, because Jeremy Harbaugh said later, um, yeah, they had us like they would have that would have been they would have they would have had the 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 game they would have they would have made the play and it, it changes what happens in that game from that point on and is he going to have the confidence in his that unit 
to call that play? I think that is a very fair question to ask at this point because he has certainly grown a little bit weary of what's been going on. And when it happened in the Michigan State game where there was a problem with getting um, where they had to call a timeout because they had the wrong people out there, they showed him on the broadcast where he just like rolled his eyes and like shook his head. And it was like, how are these mistakes happening at this point of the year when you have one person who's in charge, like you've put a coach in charge of all that. And I would absolutely, if I'm an Ohio state fan, every time there is a tight situation, like, I I don't know. Like if I'm an Ohio state fan, I probably do feel like every time the punt snap goes back, it's like, Whoa, what's, what's happening? Like, is this, (laughs) and you're just going to have such a relief every time you get the punt off cleanly because there's been multiple times this year where that hasn't happened. That is a fair thing. That is not even like a nitpick. Like that is a, this has been, this is this year's secondary. This is this year's cornerbacks more so than even the offensive line is because the offensive line has made progress over the course of this year and been more steady and more reliable and, and a bigger part of the reason why Ohio state wins games. And the special teams has not the special teams has sort of, been a shaky thing all season long in various aspects and this is a game as i've said many times now your this game is played in the margins and sometimes the special your special teams play takes up a lot of those margins in any huge game and this is where it has to not only be a liability Ohio State has to find a way to make it a positive in a game like this have we just considered the possibility that this has been one long 11-game long con by Ohio State to pretend no. to have special teams ineptitude, and then you get to Michigan and you just no. unveil the greatest special teams trip plays no. of all time? No, no, <laughs> um, uh, no. no. I mean, I they may the, have, they yeah, may have a trip play, but uh, no, it has not been a right. long con. <laughs> yeah, I I obviously say that sarcastically, but the we brought this up. I think Nathan and I brought this up. I believe it was after the Michigan State game. I think there are a lot of concerns that you can have about the special teams and there are a lot of problems you can have about the special teams and say like, oh no, like what happens if Lorenzo Styles accidentally kind of runs into the ball and Michigan gets, you know, takes over or you have that, you know, miscue, whatever that was at Rutgers or the bad snap that was against Maryland. Like, I think you could point those out and you're absolutely right to do that. And it's absolutely fair to do that. But we brought this up earlier. There are a lot of other little things that can kind of be death by paper cut with special teams that matter. Like we mentioned the field position battle, like letting a punt go and losing 15 to 20 yards. Michigan's got a good defense, like letting it go 15 to 20 yards. If you're at the, I don't know, the 25 yard line or something like that, the 20 yard line, that's the difference between attempting a field goal or punting, right? That's the difference between three or nothing, or it could be the difference between seven or three or it could be the difference if you don't have the right guys on the field in the second half, you have to, you know, you're backed up at your own 15 yard line. You have to make the decision. Do we take the delay a game? And you have to make this in five to 10 seconds. We, do we have to take the delay a game or do we burn a second half timeout in a 13, 13 game, whatever it is. Like th- there are little things that would also concern me. So yeah, you know, you have concerns that a punt is going to go problematic and all of a sudden, Michigan is able to swing the game and, you know, just a massive play that everybody can point to and say, that's where the game was won or lost or whatever. You you have to be worried about that, but you also have to be worried about the little things where it's, yeah, we let a punt go and we lost 20 yards 
or yeah, we committed a 15 yard block in the back penalty on a punt return or, you know, we fumbled Forget the fumbled aspect of things. It could be, we fumbled and we got it back, but we lost 10 yards because we didn't like, there are just so many little things that this team has kind of proven that they can't really do right consistently that you have to be worried about. So yeah, it's the big things, but also be concerned about the little things when it comes to this game. I think if I were a fan, I would be worried that it's something that happens that drastically swings the momentum of this game. And because I was trying to think through this, I'm thinking, because the, the first thing I thought was, what if you just don't punt? What if you're on your own, like 45 and you just go for it? Well, then if you don't get it, it swings momentum in Michigan's favor. But what if you do go for it and you have a special team snafu? Well, then it, it sets Michigan up with prime field position anyway, and you put things in Michigan's favor. Okay. So I, I'm trying to figure out a way where Ohio State can try to avoid it by being overly dramatic about it. But then I just took a step back and thought about the 2018 game when Chris Olave blocked that punt. Nathan, we've done a rewatch on that game. You didn't cover it, but you, we've done a rewatch of it. So you've at least now seen the game and understand that, yes, Ohio State won that game 62 to 39, but it was not a one-sided blowout at all. In fact, there's like a section of the game that created the scenario that made it a 62 to 39 game. A couple of plays here in the second half. And the first one was the Chris Olave block. Because before that, it was pretty competitive. And then he blocked the punt. Ohio State scored off of it, and it was kind of a wrap after that. Because very soon after that, they score again. Paris Campbell takes a jet sweep 75 yards up the field, and it just gets out of control because this one special teams thing happened at the right time. And I'm wondering if that's on the table for Saturday. Because the buildup's kind of the same. You know, Michigan's trudging along in 2018. They're, they're on the revenge tour. Ohio State's playing kind of wacky. They're coming off a game in College Park at Maryland that, quite frankly, they probably should have lost with the way that game played out. And then they just all came together the following week. We've talked a lot about how, you know, in the past we've seen Ohio State maybe limp to the finish line to this game while Michigan was strong getting into this game and Michigan ended up winning in 2021. Well, I've seen the other side happen of this too and i'm just wondering i'm third quarter ohio state gets a three and out and it punts and it gets blocked or they mess up the snap or just something goes wrong and michigan gets points out of it and because it's a home game for michigan the momentum is that much more and it just kind of snowfalls from there I think that's what I would be worried about if I was an Ohio State fan when it comes to the special teams unit is what happens if something goes wrong and Michigan gets points out of it? Yeah, it's so they haven't really come that close to giving up any blocks this year that I can remember. They, you know, the, Wisconsin had a decent punt return on them. They haven't in general given up long yeah. returns. You know, Felding's been pretty good about putting in the end zone and teams just taking the, the, the 25. Um, I think it's much more, again, it, it comes back to something that would be a miscommunication because that's the buzzword that they keep coming back to, that they're not, they don't have the right personnel out there for something. They have too many personnel out and have to burn a timeout or, or not enough and have to burn a timeout. Like those are the ways that I think we would be looking back more. I don't know if I'm looking at a catastrophe. I think I'm looking at a game that, again, is so decided in the thinnest margins that it's early in the third quarter and you don't have things, the right people out there on special teams and you have to call a timeout. 
And now that's a timeout you don't have at the end of the game and you need to make the drive to win it. Something like that. That or 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 to to a timeout that you want to call when Michigan still has a ball to preserve how much time you have those sorts of things like that's it's it could be that small it could be that small I think if we come out of Saturday win or lose for Ohio State and the things that we're talking about on special teams as well Jaden Felding made all of his um, makeable field goals and um, you know somebody like Jermaine Matthews is getting down and doing good things in coverage or, or some of the other guys that they have that have been very good on special teams in that regard. Like that's what needs to be the story on special teams coming out of Saturday. Uh, not man, if not for one one more dumb gaffe, Ohio State might have won that game. If that's the story, then as I've said before, not only is it a catastrophe for Parker Fleming, but there's a lot that Ryan Day has to answer for for letting things get to that point. It's uh, you know, and it's only fair to even say that because it has been the one bugaboo that has just hung out there all season, just sort of waiting to be the thing that maybe detonates at the wrong time. Ballard's been the punt returner since Emeka Buka got hurt, but I do wonder if they put Emeka Buka back there for this game. And, and I'm not saying that because yeah, he's I thought that more, too. Yeah. the most short. He's had his issues as well, on the but he hasn't had any issues this year pre-injury. And I just – Jaden Ballard is super fast, and that's why people were like, whoa, when they saw him at the pro day because he's super, super fast. But he's not the most reliable guy with his hands all the time. So I, I, I'm wondering if since Emeka Ibuka is back healthy 100% or as close to it as possible, do you just put them back there into the thing we've always talked about, Nathan, your own punt return to catch the ball and get the offense on the field? It doesn't have to be this. You don't have to make plays. Just catch the ball and let's go play some offense. And I do wonder if Ohio State takes that approach with it this week because while punt returns for touchdowns are cool and they can swing momentum, this is not a special teams unit that needs to be taking chances right now. It needs to just do the simple things the right way. I hope I didn't just scare a bunch of listeners with how we ended that podcast. Because we we said a lot, well, no. of, not ended the podcast, but just how we ended this segment of the podcast. There's, listen, we our game picks are coming up, and I, I'm I'm thinking that they're going to be a lot more positive and in Ohio yeah, State's stay favor. Stay tuned. So so stay tuned for that. It just got really dark talking about special teams because for 11 weeks, really longer than that, they've been an issue. But when we come back from this break, we'll give our game picks. And then we'll wrap up with something cool from the textures that we just had an idea for. So we'll get into that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. And we're back on Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis, and it's time to give our game picks for Ohio State's game against Michigan, the game, on Saturday. Michigan favored by three and a half. The over-under is, if I remember correctly, 46. 
heading into that game on Saturday. Andrew, we'll start with you. What is your game score for the Buckeyes versus the Wolverines? Yeah, you know, for for weeks, I was ready to pick Michigan, and I'm no longer ready to pick Michigan. Ohio State, 23, Michigan, 16. Uh, for 75% of this season, I was on the Wolverines. I We kind of made reference to this on the podcast. We talked about what Ohio State was doing, what they weren't doing. And I don't want this to be a Michigan has scared me the last two weeks conversation. I want this to be Ohio State has cleaned up enough of the areas that I was concerned about to feel good about them going into this game. I was, you've never felt really concerned about this defense, but I was concerned about this offensive line. I think the offensive line has done enough to prove to me that they can just be fine in this game and fine, I think, is good enough. I think the same with Kyle McCord. So Ohio State's going to win 23-16. Um, to 16, That's my prediction. Uh, going back to 2009, the last 15 seasons, they are 15-1 and one against the spread when they are three-point underdogs or greater. Uh, that one loss was in the national championship game uh, against Alabama, and obviously there were some mitigating circumstances, number one being Alabama being a super team, and two, Ohio State having some dudes out. But they do well in these spots. They are 10-6 and six straight up. In those games that they've been three-point underdogs, obviously the one in 2018 when they played Michigan, 62-39, to 39, they won. Ohio State plays well in these spots. I think they're going to play well in this spot again, and they're going to win by seven on the road. So it's Andrew taking Ohio State plus three and a half and an under, and I'm going to join you in that same place. 24-13 to 13 Ohio State wins. And I'm saying that where it's 14, where, excuse me, 17-13, to 13, and then Ohio State just has a breakaway touch. That's where like the Travion Henderson explosive moment happens that we saw against Notre Dame that kind of helped get the offense rolling a little bit. It wasn't the the end all be all because it was still a game. But I think this time around, it's just a rock fight for the first forty five minutes of the game, and then at some point in the fourth quarter, after plugging away with Travion, plugging away with Travion, plugging away with Travion, eventually he makes the jump cut outside. Julian Fleming makes the per- perfect block on the perimeter, which has been an underrated part of this year, how good of a blocker Julian Fleming has been on the perimeter. He's actually the guy who sprung open the the, uh, the explosive run last week against Minnesota. But that type of play happens, and that's where Ohio State pulls away in that moment. So this is a game basically played in a phone booth outside of that before Ohio State breaks away late. So 24-13, to 13, Ohio State wins, snapping its two-game losing streak to Michigan along the way. Nathan, are you going to join us with this Ohio State taking the points and also an under? So, like Andrew, I, mean, I thought this game was a toss-up for most of the, I mean, dating back to, like, the spring. And mm-hmm. there was a time this season when it definitely was trending towards, well, Michigan's just too strong in some areas where Ohio State is a little too unsteady. And that's going to make the difference in this game. But I think that the trend coming into this game, and this could be tricky because 2021, the trend that Ohio State had coming out of the Michigan State game was that things were like atomic and they were just going to blast Michigan off the field. And that did not happen because it's a very different matchup going from, you know, it, these things are decided by matchups. And yes, I know there were maybe some other things going on in that game that contributed to the, the, the score. Um, I think this is going to be tighter than you guys do even in terms of the final score i think it might be a game that ohio state has to make plays to win in the fourth quarter 
I also think that it's going to be a game, maybe just unlike anything. It's hard to even draw comparisons because neither team has played in an atmosphere like this. Michigan hasn't played an opponent anywhere near this competent on both sides of the ball. So I'm getting long winded. I'm vamping too much. I'm taking Ohio State 23 to 22. I've known all along, especially when this when this line was getting up to like six and a half. No question, I'm going to take Ohio State plus the points in this game. I thought that was crazy, even when Ohio State wasn't playing its best football, that the line was quite that big. And maybe the last two years contributed, I don't know. But I know now, I believe now, that in key areas, including Ohio State being able to run the ball, including the season-long defense that Ohio State has put out there that has stood up to any number of different challenges, that this defense is going to you know, set the foundation, keep them in this game. And I think this offense, it has better playmakers than Michigan does, I believe. And I think those playmakers are going to make the difference even by the slimmest of margins. So I'm taking 23-22. That would be Ohio State plus the points, and that would be just barely under the 46. Yeah, Nathan, you're really flirting with the under there. Andrew and I are pretty comfortably under it, but you're really under it there. And I, I, I respect that score, mainly because I don't think you're saying that as a not to the defenses in this game. No. I think it's more of a a nod to but both of these teams are as complete teams. That's why I like because that could easily be taken. Oh, you don't think anybody's going to get stops? No, I think they are going to get stops. But I also think there's going to be some times where somebody just breaks away and has some scores because that's what happens in rivalry games. So those are our picks for Ohio State against Michigan on Saturday at noon on Fox. College game day will be there. Big noon will be there. We'll be there too. Get the text 614-350-3315. Pre-game, during the game, and definitely post-game, regardless of who wins, there's going to be plenty of things that we're going to be texting about. Two-week free trial, $3.99 after that, 614-350-3315. Those are our game picks here on Buckeye Talk. So those are our game picks. Ohio State versus Michigan on Saturday at noon. We did something with the Texas week. We did a lot of things with the Texas this week. We had a legacy pod where it was – we talked a lot about big picture stuff. I talked about stuff. Nathan talked about stuff. Andrew talked about stuff. We even got the textures involved in it on how they might feel about Ryan Day and Kyle McCord and his 2021 class and a few other things. So check out that pod. That pod went up on Wednesday evening. And so check out that pod as well as you get ready for this Ohio State noon, noon game against Michigan on Saturday. But we also asked earlier in the week, obviously, if you've ever seen college game day, there's typically like game day signs at the game. And there might be some ultra hilarious ones this time around just because of who the two opponents are college game day and big noon kickoff expected to be in ann arbor for that game so i'm just going to present a couple of them here and then go to cleveland.com slash osu we'll have a more in-depth list of some of these on the site as well and i thought some of these were pretty unique maybe you two don't think that from the 614 their idea was a surveillance equipment black friday sale at shim beckler hall it's like the sign saying that that's what's happening. From the 3-2-1, Michigan's with the M, obviously, with the Scarlet X, because it's, you know, Ohio State, Michigan week. Michigan's coaching staff uniforms, but it's a pic- picture of all black Air Force Ones, which <laughs> Andrew gets it. It's, it's, yeah, it's a thing. I kind of li- like that yeah. one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> black Air Force Ones go along, uh, are, uh, like, they're synonymous with criminals, yeah. Nathan. So that's why they use that one. Gotcha. From the 281. I thought you meant the plane. Jim Harbaugh's. 
Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. I was like, that might be even better. Like, going to this like, might be even better. This oh, this oh, might Obama's be the biggest Air Force like, One. Like, what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, <laughs> this might be the best. Like, I don't know if you want to call it generational gap or whatever. This might be the best thing that. that yeah, that's the best thing that's happened on this pod. I have heard of Air Force One. I just needed the context for it and didn't have it in. Yeah, the Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was awesome. This is like, and we love Doug, man. We love you. But this is so much better because it's two of us in our 20s on this pod now. So it's even more hilarious <laughs> when you don't get it. I'm so happy that <laughs> happened. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Here's a couple of more. From the Glad 281, Jim Harbaugh's. Yeah, of course. Jim Harbaugh's twin flame is Connor Stallions. Okay. From the 937, it's in quotes. Someone in Ann Arbor stole my sign. I thought that was a pretty clever one. From the 614, the team up north should have stolen Appalachian State's signs, which is a good callback. It's a good callback one. From the 443, 1,000 wins with an asterisk, and it says for now with ellipses after it. From the 419, Bo never had to cheat with a classy rivalry picture of Woody and Bo shaking hands. And then Matt and baton rouge who aka the steven means of the south he said that a couple of times matt get at me i want to know what that means i think it's a compliment but i need to know for sure so get at me on the text i need to know what that means but his was did connor stallions get to keep the ray bands that's a pretty good line that's a pretty good line that's a pretty good line and then jackson from the 650 an image of connor stallions in baseball gear giving a hand signal with the caption harball steal third Respected. And then last one here, it's from the 614, Hail to the Cheaters, the Cheaters of the West, which I think is a combination of like Hail to the Victors yeah, and whatnot. So, so those are just yeah. – yeah, so that's – I don't know the Michigan fight song. I barely I don't, I don't, barely know my own alma mater's fight song, Kent State's. I don't know that one. Andrew knows his. I bet you know OU's fight song. Stand up and cheer, baby. No, I didn't, that wasn't <laughs> a chance for you to do it. I didn't Nathan, do, do it. You I know just your, said it. Nathan, do you know your school's fight song? I did not attend a school with a Division One football program, and uh, that's okay. So no. You can still have a fight zone. They do they? I don't know. University U U U of I Chicago. Um, I'm I guess they probably do, but I, I no, I do not know it. You still have some student pride, but okay. That that will wrap things flames. up. There it is. That's Fire the name of the song. Fire up flames. That's what Google tells me. The UIC fight song. Fire up flames. All right. All right. Fire up flames. Well, I love, man, the Black Air Force one. That's a, that's my favorite one. Of that's the best one. Pictures. That's the best no, that's, one. That was that's really the best good. one. Whoever sent that in, A-plus. Shout out to you. Yeah, shout out to you, 321. That was, that was an awesome, awesome one right there. So that'll wrap up this game preview pod. Steven Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. Get the text, 614-350-3315. When the availability report comes out, we'll text it first. As things are happening pregame, when we see guys lining up for starters in the second unit, we're texting that. We'll probably be texting out some other stuff, too, because I'm pretty sure there's going to be pretty exciting things going on in the pregame. We text a lot during the game as well. When an injury happens, we're texting it out as we're seeing things happen live and then after the game. Uh, yeah, you should probably get the text because win or lose, interesting things are going to be asked and said by Ryan Day and of Ryan Day coming out of this game. And Jim Harbaugh, Jimmy Watkins will be there too, our rivalry reporter who was on the Monday pod. So we're at full staff, full strength for the Ohio State-Michigan game at noon on Fox on Saturday in Ann Arbor. 
For Nathan Baird, for Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk.